0: And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
1: Welcome, wary audio traveler, to the Nerdist Podcast episode number 219. Hey, guess who's sponsoring the Nerdist Podcast this episode? Katie Levine. Who? <laughs> well, it's cool that you're pretending that you don't know because you just told me who it was. Uh, it's our buddy Scott Ackerman, Comedy Bang Bang. You should listen to his podcast. You should also watch the television version of Comedy Bang Bang every Friday at 10, 9 Central and IFC. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's just basically an absurd half-hour comedy talk show. Uh, it looks like a talk show, but it's really, it's, it's absurdist comedy talk show. It, it, it doesn't fucking matter. It's funny. You should watch it because it's funny. And Scott has amazing guests on. Reggie Watts is his goddamn band. Reggie Watts is his band. Why would you need to hear anything else? Uh, Amy Poehler, Zach Galifianakis, Seth Rogen. Um, uh, this Friday, Amy sits down with Scott and uh, talks about her feud with Mad Magazine. <laughs> We've all had one. All of us. I was, uh, I got, I got parodied by Mad Magazine in the late 90s, Katie. And I think I was, uh, uh, oh, my Mad Magazine name was Dis Hard Up. Dis Hard Up. That's, it's good writing. However you look at it, Dis Hard Up. And I think Jenny McCarthy was Jammy McAirhead. So they went a little more on the nose with that one. Uh, but anyway, Comedy Bang Bang, every Friday, 10, 9 central. Please watch it support podcasters doing stuff on television, Uh, and Scott's great. So, uh, hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. Hey, here's a fun thing if you uh, live in Northern California or feel like going to Northern California next week. um, Dr. Stephen Hawking, perhaps you've heard of him, and Dr. Kip Thorne are speaking at an event um, presented by the Institute for Science, Engineering, and Public Policy uh, called Out of a Black Hole. That's Tuesday, June 19th, 2012, So if you go to isepp.org, you can get information on tickets, how to go that. And when you go to the link for tickets, if you enter the code galaxy, you'll get 10% off the tickets. Just a fun thing, I thought. Uh, I wish I could be there. I cannot go uh, next Tuesday because I'm going to Atlanta. For reasons that may involve zombies, I don't know. Everything is crazy. But uh, if I weren't, I would absolutely go to this event and uh, and see Stephen Haw- however However you get to see Stephen Hawking in your life, live, in person, this could be it. So uh, check it out, org. And now this episode. Uh, this was... Uh, this is a really personal episode for me. And I, you know,
2: it's not... I, I'm not well.
1: I'm a little uncomfortable about super, super, super personal stuff, like really, really personal stuff. This is. Uh, I went to Memphis a couple weeks ago and visited with my dad, uh, who's 70, and uh, but still a firecracker. That guy, professional bowler Billy Hardwick, and I thought, you know, I'll just sit down and talk, record a conversation with him, and it was unbelievable. I mean, I I and I had no idea the effect it would have on him, but he afterwards, he he talked about it for the next several days like I can't believe we just like it was so amazing to just sit down and talk. We haven't just sat down and talked like that in so long about anything of substance. And so it's just my advice to you, uh, you know, as your parents get older, sit down and talk to them like you're doing a podcast because (laughs) when you're just having a conversation that it's very you know small talky what are you doing how's it going Uh, any movies you see but when you kind of treat it like you're sort of interviewing your parents it forces you to dig a little bit deeper and you learn a ton of shit about them that you didn't know not just about their history but just just them as people Uh, this, this happened to me a long time ago, but it is a weird, it's a weird sensation when you kind of have that realization of like, oh yeah, my parents are just two people who had sex and spit out a kid. Like, they're just people, you know? Like, you, you think of them as these super beings, and in a lot of ways they are to you, but, but it's also, um, you know, when you, when you, when you really kind of draw out their humanity, it, uh. It's, it's unbelievable to connect with them on that level. And you learn a lot about them and about yourself and maybe why you do some of the things you do And you see. It's, talking to your parents is a little bit like getting your own origin story. Uh, with that, even without being so on the nose as the facts, but just sort of like the way that they process information and the things that they went through. And then you, you kind of realize like, hey, uh, I'm not so alone. I'm not so alone. And sometimes things that I've been looking for just out in the world happen to exist with my parents, like both my parents, my mom and my dad, are just amazing to talk to, uh, but this one's for Father's Day, so sorry to ramble on and on, this was just a really special one for me, and I hope you I hope you enjoy it, and I sincerely hope, you know, if you, if you have the ability to, that you can uh, pick up the phone and call a parent or a loved one and just say, hey, let's just talk and just get to know each other a little better, uh, alright, oh, sappy sap sap sap, uh, it's artist Podcast number 219, with Professional Bowler! Billy Hardwick, my dad. Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: really is. You talk know, about somebody that can't even turn on a computer, so this is really fascinating to me. Why don't you have email yet? Um, why don't I have email? It's really a simple question, um, laziness to begin with. When I first put the uh, AutoMax card in my bowling center, I chose not to go to the school because I found out one person at a time could work. And I was in the way, so I just never took the time. and. I would rather talk to somebody on the telephone hear the influx in their voice instead of trying to read between the lines but basically just lazy and <laughs> that's the only answer I got Are you ever going to get on email? Uh, hopefully I'm the kind of guy I've got you know I'm one of these ADD guys that I can't you know if I don't interrupt you I'm going to forget what I'm going to say always been that way just didn't realize it and uh, sometimes I say I got it so bad I can't remember the letters you know it's really uh, it's, it's, it's one of the kind of things that I can't read directions on how to pump gas. But if you show me, I can do it. I mean, it just doesn't comprehend. It doesn't sink in. Plus, I don't listen. I said, they're talking to you, and I just don't pay attention. And the only way I survived on tour was people have their names on their shirts. I think the world should have their names on their shirts because it's so much easier. Of course, you get tired of looking at people's breasts when you type her what their name is. But, you know, <laughs> it's part of the deal.
1: Be careful not to hit your hands on the counter because it'll make, it'll make a noise on the thing. Um, it's pretty exciting because... Uh, Uh, we're in memphis now and i just drove across country which was really fun um and uh you the bowling center where i grew up is now it it, is the
2: 30th anniversary 30th anniversary june 1st oh shit that feels so weird that feels weird. Well, it was because you were ten at the time we you going through the what? No, month.
1: I was I, I was born that year. What are you fucking <laughs> yeah, talking right. about? Yeah, yeah
2: really. Okay. I was t- I was just born. I I was born in the bowling center. Right. Thirtieth okay, anniversary. It's hard to believe. And and it, the the funny part about the story was I was a retired pro bowler, and there are no jobs for retired pro bowlers because people know you're going. As soon as you get a, another sponsor, you're going back on tour. And the day I got the bowling center, I had uh, a, a, some investors that that I'd convinced to put the money up to give me a chance. And I had a check for $100,000 to give the guy I was buying the bowling center from. And if he doesn't sign the papers, I couldn't have taken you and your mom through McDonald's for lunch because I couldn't have, I two nickels to rub together. Oh shit. It was like I was borrowing from MasterCard to pay Visa. It was about $40,000 in debt and really just didn't have a clue. And uh, it was just one of the kind of things that jumped in, did about 90 hours a week and just loved it and still do. I just, just started to love being around the game to people. I didn't know, I don't know if I, well at the time I certainly wouldn't have known that because I was
1: pretty young. So uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think I really sensed anything was really wrong when I was a kid.
2: Well, you know, that's why you know, you have a half dozen credit cards, you just max them all out and just keep going until they say no. And you know, <laughs> at one point, and it really did happen, I got a call, uh, I was in Nebraska and I had owed one of the credit cards or a bank, I think I owed a bank $5,000. And I was in Nebraska, some little town, doing an exhibition. And your mom calls me and she says, uh, they took all the money out of the account. I did not know this, but I owed the bank 5000 I just got up to 5000 And they were worried about collecting their debt. So they took the money and then sent a letter. Oh, shit. Saying that, uh, <laughs> you know, that they didn't feel comfortable about the loan. And so the the town, I believe it was Grand Prairie. I forget one town, some town in Nebraska. And the... Uh, the owner of the bowling center made me a sub sandwich and I had to take a bus to Denver to get in the airport uh, to catch a plane because, you know, just didn't have, I, I didn't have anything. And I was sitting next to a girl that was on the way to San Francisco. She was uh, you know, just coming to visit the country and she had things written out for me to read so she could just communicate. I just gave her my sandwich. I said, well, you know, this is a whole lot tougher what she's doing than what I'm going to go through. And I just, you know, came back and started over. Wow. Did you, um,
1: uh, just go back to the beginning though of your, when you started, like, how, why did you start working at a bowling center? Like, how did you even get involved in, in bowling? To
2: well, begin? I, I was six man on the varsity basketball team in high school. I went to Hillsdale high, the same school as Dick Vermeule, who coached, uh, uh, the Super Bowl. And, and, you know, it was, it was right down from Sarah where Tom Brady and, you know, just a really good area outside of 20 miles from San Francisco. And they opened a bowling center, I was raised in a project. It was a place called Candlestick Cove. We had the city dump in the projects, and they had to, uh, we had to move because they had to tear it down and build Candlestick Park uh, for the 49ers and the Giants uh, at the time were playing. And uh, so we moved and when I went to the school Hillsdale High in San Mateo, Everybody I met was good in sports, and I was always the last one picked. You know, I could play, in the, but I was always the last. I was the 10th grade, I was five foot two, 99 pounds. I was really little. Uh, it was just uh, one of kind of things. And, and I'm familiar with the dynamic. Yeah, and when we uh, uh, they opened a bowling center, I went down there because I wanted to just beat the guys that I went to school with. They were all really good athletes. And I just wanted to beat them. And they offered me a job at a dollar sixty-five an hour. I was the janitor, and I was uh, going to school full time and working thirty-five hours a week. I never saw bed before two o'clock in the morning. And and one of, there was three owners, and the the nighttime owner was in the bar, and he's always trying to pick up ladies. So I'd have to mop the floors and stuff, and he'd be in there. He'd fire me. I got fired seven times because he'd fire me in the daytime. He'd hire me back. You know, that was, was just the way it was. And I just you know, but I you know i sleep in class i was always i was just so fascinated by it because i was really a shy kid nobody believes that as much as i talk now but i was so shy i couldn't talk to anybody
1: oh i remember i saw early videos i mean i saw early films of you like being interviewed on the tour when you were a kid when you were like 20 or 22 and you couldn't
2: you barely couldn't could speak. talk I, I couldn't speak i know the, the year i won the tournament champions um uh I was so nervous and scared of, of going that I got dressed and the last thing I always did was put my aftershave on, but I forgot to shave, you know, so I had to, to start the process all over. But I was so shy and people used to think I was stuck up, but I was afraid to talk because I was never raised around uh, the affection, the love, the eye, the, all, all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, and, and I will honestly say I'm 70 now. The three years I was janitor is the happiest three years of my life. Really? Because I was developing a personality I was meeting all these people that were just really just all blue collar. We all worked, you know, and I said I was the janitor and, you know, that's just what I did. I was, uh, and the better I bowled, the more people talked to me. And it just got to a point where one year I was, uh, I was 154 and I was high average, you know. And then a guy from the next town came down, he had a 180 average. I said, well, that ain't right. So I just worked. It was just a progression of beating, uh, the guys in the area and they were, uh, it was just so. It was just such a big family. You know, we had all these people: the, the mechanic, the bartender, um, the, the guy who worked the snack bar, the desk man, and myself. And I was a janitor. And and the world champions came in to want to bowl, uh, want us to pace them to bowl along while they were trying to qualify for the next world championship. And we beat them by 300 pins. So oh shit! Did. Yeah, we just. Uh, but it was also a period of time when people, like, when people actually respected bowling. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the truth. It, it was, because it, it, at the time we did it, there was only ABC, NBC, CBS. And uh, so there, there was no competition. And this is before the unionized baseball and football. So at, at the time when I was number one in the world, the, uh, I was making the same salary as uh, baseball, football, and basketball players. I was making something thousand a year, which was their average salary. And like today, you can still only get a thousand people in a bowling center, and you get twenty or thirty thousand in a golf tournament. And it just—it's uh, just a financial thing. We're the blue-collar people. We just are. Like right now, my, in my bowling store I've got one hundred fifty thousand people a year go through the door. They're—you know—they're the they're, they're workers. And and when I wanted to go on tour, I had tried uh, some people I was close with put the money up, and I went seventeen tournaments and never made a nickel. And uh, I was just last. I was in. I mean it's like 20 years old. I'm in all I've got the Don Carter, Dick Weber, all the great players around me, and I'm watching these guys. And I was a spectator, paying uh, you know, spending $300 a week. To you know, we would uh, uh, 12, hotel rooms $12 a night, and we'd get four guys, and we would do box spring mattress, box spring mattress, or over under. One guy under the sheet, one guy over the sheet. But you know, for $3 <laughs> a night, you know, it, it worked pretty good. Entry fees were 100 bucks, and we could live on less than $10 a day. Um, was my grandfather? I mean, I knew him, but I didn't know him well. Uh, was he an asshole? Oh, oh. no, absolutely not. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. No, not oh, my, <laughs> my, oh, my, your father. Oh, my father. Oh yeah, my father was. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't oh, talking yeah. about my mother's father was no, a saint. No, no, he was. Yeah, I think no, we we're talking. About, was, you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm me?
1: talking about yeah. Hubert.
2: Yeah, Hubert was really. He was one of these. If if people ever heard of all the family Archie Bunker, he was Archie Bunker. He he never said I love you. He didn't have affection. He just didn't. He just was not capable of, of, of doing anything, and uh, I remember the first time that he uh, came to watch me bowl, uh, I was not allowed in the bowling center, so I'd sneak out at night, but I could go to work and that kind of stuff, but I'd sneak out, come home 3 or 4 You mean early. he didn't want you going to the bowling center? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, it just because he's an asshole. I mean, that was just, <laughs> that's just because, you know, yeah. and then I got the job, and it, and it changed, then he started reading about me. So he uh, came up to watch me one night and I was like, Wow, cause the best bowlers in San Francisco were there. It's a really big deal. And I went down I went strike, strike, and I left one pin standing, a ten pin. And he said, You stink. got him walked out the door. Oh, Jesus. You know, this right? is a photo of you know, all you know, the people that I'm really trying to get to know. And I was at the time I think eighteen and I was just really becoming challenging to be the best in, uh, in, in the Bay Area. And when I turned 60, you know, 40 years later, I, uh, I said, Dad, I said, you know, what is he having conversation? because he was not that kind of person. I said, Dad, I said, I got to tell you, that time I've been homeless for 40 years, I said, that time that you came in and watched me bowl and, and told me I stunk, I said, that just really hurt me so bad. He said, "Well, you're a bigger baby than I thought you were." Jesus he just Christ. always got me. He could nail me. He could just catch me. I got. And I said, "You fucking son of a bitch!" And he said, "Fuck you." He said, "Fuck you too." God damn it! And I left and never came back for two years and, and anything else. And then my sister called and she says, "You know what about mom?" I said, "You know you're right." So I went out there and, and you know we you know and uh, I mean I made peace when he died. He was just incapable of affection. That's he was,
1: but he was from a generation of
2: like. People that were
1: just carved out of rock. I don't yeah. know. He, yeah. I had heard these stories where he and my great grandfather would just hop on a train and, and hobo across the country like oh, yeah. they were rednecks. basically. I mean, they were hillbillies, kind of. Yeah. right? My grandfather had his own still. He had a still. I remember yeah. seeing the film of he had like a, a a gin still or something in a washing
2: machine. He was uh, he lived to be ninety nine, and he, his career earnings were three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Was he, just, he, he was a vagabond you know I never saw him sober I never saw him sober he'd wear my old bowling shirts Rufus Rufus yeah Rufus Ellingson and he'd wear my old bowling shirts and tell everybody were, you know, watching reruns on TV and I swear I'll never forget yeah. when, when I he was 75 years old and he had this and he weighed like 120 pounds and, uh, and he had this girlfriend uh, what I can't remember, um, Madeline was her name and I just got off a plane and come in. It was like, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning. Didn't know they were there. And I started to go in my room, and I heard Madeline say, Not tonight, Rufus. I got a headache.
0: He's <laughs> 75
2: years old. <laughs> I said, All right, Rufus. You go for it. I was late at couch. They called him R.E. My dad's name is Hubert. Yeah. My grandfather's Rufus. And they called him, my dad, H.A., and him, R.E., because they didn't like the names. How I came out with William, I have no idea. But uh, Very pleased.
1: Yeah, he... uh,
2: I, I think maybe he was just from a generation
1: of people that... You just got married as soon as you could, and you started having kids, and you didn't really question it. And I think those... I think a lot of those people probably felt fairly unfulfilled because they never really were able to, they never, it to feel like they weren't really allowed to kind of follow the things that, that they were passionate about. Did my grandfather care about anything that
2: he well, might you, have you wanted have to do? Something. He's, he's from Alabama. My family's all, all the South Alabama, Tennessee. There wasn't a lot of money. And my, my grandmother, uh, uh, worked in a mill and, you know, and, and my grandfather, he was on a train somewhere. He was just gone. He just never showed up anywhere. And when I was three, my dad, uh, Got a job at the shipyards in San Francisco, so that's the reason we came across uh, country You were going to Mobile. I was, no, I was going to Florence. You were going to Florence. Yeah, I was going to Florence, Alabama. and uh, uh, So we came there to work and, and to get a job in the projects, and we had another family there. was a sheet up, and, you know, um, it was... Yeah, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. And I went to this junior high school called Portola Junior High School in San Francisco. If you get to school and back without getting your ass kicked, you had a good day, because it was really scary. It was just... Everything was the stuff that people walk around the signs with. They would have gang fights and stuff that would just scare you. You know, it was, it was just, uh, but it was just the way it was. You know, you don't, you don't, if you don't know any better, you don't, you know, you don't think anything about it. But it was, uh, I think one of the things that saved me was I was the smallest kid. I was too small to pick on, you know, if, if that's.
1: But your best you know, friend was also the
2: biggest. Uh, Lenny was. No, Lenny was high school. I didn't meet Lenny till, uh, till high school. My best friend. Uh, my my two best friends growing up in the project, uh, uh, Kermit Shepherd was a black kid and he was really big and just a super guy, and my downstairs neighbor Melvin Garcia my two best friends uh, growing up, and um, whatever happened to them? Well, you know we left, you know oh, we, you- we moved, didn't have a car, and never went back there. I've often wondered what happened to them because uh, you know we were just. Uh, you know, and, and my first girlfriend was Elsie Garcia, you know, and, and she was five years old. I was in the sixth grade, I got a girlfriend, you know, everybody was <laughs> feeling her up except me, but yeah, you know, uh, I forgot to say, she was my girlfriend, <laughs> she had big old titties. I mean, it, it, and just like to like people to play with them, you know, so we <laughs> <laughs>
1: like people to play with them.
2: And uh, this other girl, um, uh, Ruby Dawson, that was. Just the toughest girl you ever met. The guys were afraid of her, you know. And but you know, these were these are just people. You know, I remember these names. I can't tell what I had for lunch today, but I remember (laughs) all that stuff because it was just so great. And then when we did move um, uh, to San Mateo, twenty miles out of San Francisco, and I got in, and you know, I, I got the job as the janitor. And you know, my parents, my dad was. Five dollars a day, whatever, not making a lot of money. house painting, right? House painting, yeah. He was house painting, uh, uh, except for the daily doubles he never missed for 50 years. He the would, track, but, yeah, you know. But I give him credit, you know. My, my parents, they never missed work, either one of them, you know. He there was always food on the table and a roof over your head, and you know, but it was just his rules, and that's just the way it was. It was and your mother and my grandmother was it's like this, so sweet, yeah, yeah, just like yeah. it
1: was, there yeah. was an unbelievable combination. But I guess that was also the generation where you just you just stuck with your marriage. Yeah, you did. You know, and she because she sat by. I
2: mean, like he was pretty awful, and she, you know, she just dealt with it. Yeah, well, she, you know, he would he would come in every Friday, and he'd give her money for the bills. We both the rest of the track or poker or you know chasing around. You know, he'd come over with lipstick on his collars, and you know he was just. And they'd argue, and one time she threatened to, you know, uh, my mom and I know a lot of people going out there, and everybody's got their. Their stuff, and you know, he, he was a player, you know. Because, uh, I just say, and, uh, and my mom told me this story, you know. She said one time, whenever somebody moves out, his job is to go in and paint, so he knew everybody at the Hillsville Garden Apartments. And uh, my mom told me this, this is just, I mean, she's in a nursing home now, and she told me just told me this story just a few years ago. He, uh, the lady wanted some plumbing done, she called my dad, and he went up there, and she was naked. Uh, I said, and, and mom says, well, what was she supposed to do? She was naked. Of course she slept with her. I said, are you kidding me? She <laughs> says, that's, you know, that's, a, that's that's a whole, that's a different generation. Yeah. yeah. And, and every girl I ever dated in my life, everybody I've ever known, everyone of them, after meeting my parents says, I will not be like your mother. I will not take that shit. You know, there's just no way. But you know, but like I say... Except for the, the tenor's part, you know, he never missed work. He always took care of He always did what he was supposed to do. But it's weird because I don't ever think of my grandmother as being a doormat. She seemed like a strong woman. She just sort of seemed like a, this is how it is. She was a manipulator. She made it work. You know, she always made it work. You know, like every now and then if I was really broke, she'd slip me a couple of dollars. You know, just she always made it work. And she and now in the nursing home, she's the worst person they have there. Since says, my dad died four years ago. My, my, I got a, a brother and two sisters, and uh, they called me, and they said, look, you've got to talk to Mom. She is absolutely just a terror, and you know, and she's just cussing everybody and being nasty. And I said, Mom, I understand you have become, like, the biggest bitch in the earth. And she said, so? I guess she held it in for so many years.
1: <laughs> oh, no. And now, you know, now she's finally, because she her, her oppressor is gone. And,
2: uh, she's walked outside naked and, and you know, just uh, not, you know. And but yet she still remembers a lot of stuff and then I ask her about San Francisco doesn't remember that stuff but you know it's the, the dementia part but you know she still remembers me ask about you and, and she's she's still how those things are important to her uh, but she's um, you could not you couldn't drop a shirt in her house without yeah. it
1: being folded by the time you turn oh, no. back around uh, and, and perfectly set
2: you gotta take a crap in the middle of the night the bed's made when you come back <laughs> <laughs> in and swear. It was. <laughs> that's the way it was. You did not. <laughs> it was, she would honestly get up every morning, fix breakfast, pack lunches, go to work eight hours herself. She worked in an electric plant uh, on the assembly line. My dad was a painter, and then cook, she cooked three meals a day. And we had we had bologna. We had oatmeal every day, and bologna lunch every day through the sixth grade. You know, and then on Friday, my dad would get a steak, and we'd get a hamburger. You know, but that's just the way it was until. Uh, we went to where there was cafeterias in school, and it would bend to, to twenty-five or fifty cents.
1: Do you think? Um, do you think because you had such a bad relationship with my grandfather that, do you think that contributed to anxiety or depression, or do you feel like our family? Because those are things that I've had, you know, throughout my life. Or do you just feel like we were just predisposed to deal with a lot of that stuff?
2: Well, you know, <laughs> I told you earlier, the first time I met your mother and her family. And I saw every time he'd see you see Jindy hug and kiss, I thought you were a weird family, because I've never seen shit like that. We never I I'd come home once a year and there was ever any hugs. No, I love you, just how are you? Fine, how are you, you know? And, Did he ever say it? Um not till I was in my sixties, you know, when it when it was where he was starting to get pretty bad and I uh, he just, you know. But my mom's <sighs> favorite line was, You know your dad loves you. I said, How do I know? Yeah, he's never said it. The one time he come to watch me bowl, I got uh, when I was bowling, I got drafted by this Fresno Bombers. It was a it was a bowling league that they tried in the early sixties where Fresno, LA, everybody had teams, and they paid us a thousand dollars a month uh, plus expenses. I mean, when I got drafted, I said, "You're going to pay me to bowl? Are you kidding me?" And, and so you know, my dad, when a couple of his buddies showed up one night drunk, passed out in the in the, in the deal, you know, and just. It was just no. That's just all I've been around, and and I didn't hate him for it. Like I say because now that now that um, he's gone and I'm getting older and reflecting more, I'm seeing more of his good sides. You know, I remember my mom. She sent me this tape one time about after he died, five four years ago. She sent me a tape. She said, "You got to listen to this. Your dad should have been a singer. I mean, he had the best voice you've ever heard." So I sent this tape. This tape him playing a guitar with three or four other drunks, all these drunk people singing a little sing along. But you know, it, it, and I'm not—I I don't want to sound like I'm putting him down because I have more respect for him now. Because I've seen how his brothers—he uh, had two brothers that were just no good, didn't work, ran away from every responsibility. He never missed a responsibility, one day in his life. What I missed was the affection. I—the I, reason I was attracted to your mom's family was because they were so affectionate and so caring. And I said, wow. And when I got the job at the bowling center, I got the same treatment. Everybody was so nice. And, my bowling coach, uh, a woman, sold me a car for $60, and, a, that, uh, you know, it was it was, it was just nice. <laughs> and, and I hate to take it like I'm trashing my dad, but uh, me and a friend of mine, I was 16 or 17, and we had these two girls, but I had the car, so we were driving, and it was a clutch, and I popped the clutch, and there was a big pop in the car, you know, off the side of the road, and I had to call my dad to come get me. He got so pissed off he sold it to a friend of his for thirty dollars. The guy sent six dollars for a clutch plate and drove it for ten years. Oh my God! It was just you know, but you know, they, it's like you just didn't talk back. You know, it was just it was just that time where the 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 you know, that, you know no matter what they were like, and you're always on eggshells, especially if you you know, been out partying, But uh, you know, but, but you know, he never. Came to a ball game. He never came to watch. He never until I started making television. Then he started coming around. But he, it was always I. It was never we. We never did family things. We never did any of that kind of stuff. And that's why I try so hard now to stay uh, close to my kids. Just because I would, I don't want to, you know, have a negative thought. I want to. I don't want to go to bed after an argument or something. I just really work hard. And, and the bowling developed me a personality. In fact, after that first year on tour of being last. 28 of my customers, and I'm talking about people that all of them made less than $5 an hour, put up $100 each to give me a chance to go on tour. And I, it was $2,800, and when that 2800 was gone, uh, uh, then I knew I had to uh, go back, to my job was waiting for me, the bowling center. Uh, I knew that I was going to be there just, if I was the night desk man, it didn't make no difference. I liked the atmosphere, I liked the respect they had for each other, I liked... The people. I just liked being around it because it, it, it developed me a personality. I mean, it really got to where uh, um, I, I started believing myself, and the better I bowled, and, and plus I didn't have to face the people; they were behind.
1: Me. <laughs> oh, that's right. You that's know, true. So I never thought about now. that
2: because when I turned out face them uh, the, the first time, and, and your mom really helped in this. We were. Uh, I had a contract with uh, AMF, and at the time it was pretty big. It was uh, uh, like twenty twenty five thousand dollars of dollars And... and, and I had been in Japan, and I shot the first three hundred Nassau TV, and they offered my own bowling ball company over there. And AMF, I said, look, and I, you know, I want to be able to work over there too. It's too good a deal. And they said no because we have business over there. So rather than let me do that, they pretty much doubled my contract. And then I got to where I wasn't really bowling good because the ball they made was a piece of crap, and I just really, you know, it just, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't do it. So they had a a new cigarette come out called Lucky 10. And they had um, uh, bowling centers all over the country. We'd go to town like Philadelphia or Chicago and there'd be four or five of us. We'd go to every bowling center and give clinics. Now, we had a script, a 45-minute script that uh, if you use every word, it's gonna take you 45 minutes and you do a Q and A. Now, I work with this lady named Edie Jo Neal, but we'd never faced people before. I was, I mean, I had diarrhea before the first time. <laughs> and your mom coached us, you know, on the, because uh, I mean, she was really eloquent, she'd, she'd do this stuff. And and the very first thing in Pittsburgh, and I forget uh, this girl, uh, Edie Jo, we had to do 78 clinics in 28 days. Oh my God. And it was like three, four a day, every single day, just three times, every time, three, and just keep going. The very first clinic, we did the entire uh, speech in 12 minutes. It was supposed to take 45. I mean, we rattled. We were so nervous. And, and then people were asking questions and and, and uh, paying attention, and I just never had that feeling before. By the end of the 78th clinic, that, that it was, that was an hour and a half. We kept adding, telling stories. I left there a different person. I just, you know, all of a sudden I, I'd like to see people and I end up uh, touring around as an ambassador making speeches all over the country and uh, just, you know, just loved it. Just really, uh, you know, and it just changed my I mind. Mean, bowling gave me a personality, gave me a life. Uh, to, to end up with uh, my own bowling center now is, the you're so against it, it was unbelievable. And it's because of the opportunity that, uh, Bowling gave me, and it's too bad the young players say there's some really good talent, but they have too much competition between the other sports and the big money, and it's just not, it's not, you know, it doesn't have that. I did a Miller beer commercial that was three to five times a week nationwide for a year and a half. I was actually more recognized for my beer commercial than I ever was any bowling I ever did because of the audience, and now the audience has dwindled. I mean, we were recognizable everywhere you know and uh, like right now there's a lot of uh, basketball football players love the ball you know they they get their group and they go and they they have a good time and party but it's uh, still a great game it's just uh the, the game now is different As it's a lot easier basically because of the equipment the way we the way things are done but the technology the equipment the technology is. yeah well it's a lot, just like a Bertha I mean golf has the big Bertha yeah. uh, the racket they have the big tennis racket everything is designed for better plus the athletes are, are better shape better condition you know they're 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 preparing for it so uh, we were just you know we would know, uh, bowl our 8, 10, 12 hours and, uh, I mean 8 hours a day probably and Going to bar and hang around, drink some beer with the customers, and get acquainted. And uh, you know, you only went home at night alone if you wanted to. It was just that's just the way it was. You know, you just you know, and and fooling groupies. Well, yeah, but every everybody has it. It's just that uh, you know, it's just according to your level of income dictates the. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what can I say? That's why I make light switches. But I. I
1: snorted. The, uh, the the first year that you that you were trying to get on the tour, and then you came in last, and then a bunch of people gave you money to go yeah. back and try one more time, yeah. and then that was it. If it didn't work, that was it. And I made thirty five thousand. How did yeah. you
2: turn? What happened? Like what changed? I'm mental blinders. Uh, what happened was the first year I was in awe. I've just only seen these people on television. And I'm standing next to them, and there's the house, in Bell Bowl in San Mateo, California. I could literally average. 250 in any pair in the house, I couldn't get any bets and when I got back from the tour the first year I couldn't average 180 and I mean I was just, thought I was done, I thought it was just going back to work so I started working and working and that fall I went to Santa Barbara California and I ended up winning the state all events and I said well if I can beat these guys why can't I beat those guys and it was just the, the mental approach. And in fact the day I was leaving the tour this guy named Harry Smith offered me $500 he said here. Kid, you got a, uh, you know. I think you got a future, you know. And I said, no, I said, I'm not ready. Ray Bluth, another. This is old time. The way people. I remember are. him. Ray Bluth. I was eating burgers. I was eating crap food. One day, uh, I was sitting having lunch with him, and he ordered a big old steak and nice meal. He said, "Oh, I forgot it's Friday. I'm Catholic. I can't eat meat." And he just gave me a steak. Just they, he knew. He was just, uh, you know. They really took care of each other. They were really it was a really good close bonding, like bowlers know who boulders are. And I don't have a lot of friends today because it was somebody from every different town of the country. We're spread out all over the country. So it's not like you have a bunch from one area going and now I have acquaintances everywhere and but my deal is my customers at the bowling center, which I've had I say for thirty years. I go in every night there's always somebody to sit and have a beer with or talk with or tell old stories and believe it or not uh, I haven't bowled in since about 35 years, and I still get autograph requests. You know, of course, I've had some where uh, this one Billy Hardwick. Uh, was a country singer and they thought they still had I got the best voice they've ever heard well obviously it wasn't me I've been mis- mistaken for other people but it it's still there. there is a group that is still following I, I've oh. seen a picture of that guy he looks like we could be related to them that, he could, that, could, have, that could have been one of the light if switches he, if, going off if he could have taken the, if you take the hat off <laughs> I could tell I would
1: <laughs> right it, it could have been one of those nights yeah. where the light yeah. switch went off yeah. um, but I still want to know what happened like do you, do you feel do you think that um do you think that you were more uh, natural ability or was it sheer
2: force of will and practice and oh, hard work? And I had no ability whatsoever. Everybody, everybody to this day told me I couldn't bowl, they just couldn't beat me. You know, it was just mental. Uh, my whole thing changed is anybody at whatever level of sport you want to get to can get yourself ready uh, physically. But, but the, the six-inch space between your ears dictates everything. There's some people that if you'll look at my list of all tournaments, they can either get to maybe the top 10 or the top 20 or make the cut, and then they're satisfied with, with that position. But that second year I came out, if Don Carter put up his foot up or whatever, I'd put mine up first. I'd, I'd say, no, my turn. I just I have mental binders. I got to where I could I could literally blank out anything around me and... Uh, and think about it. I, this is, is when I wasn't talking to people. I would, you know, do that. But then I'd look at the floor coming back. I could never look at the crowd. I could never uh, face anybody. I was just always uh, really. I never felt like I belonged. Uh, but the better I bowled, the more accepted I was, and I created a lot of uh, opportunity. So was that what it was then? Absolutely. <laughs> That's all because I I've, seriously, I'm the least physical person you've ever. Seen in your life. I mean, I, right now I play golf and I play for ladies' tees, and my wife outdrives me. So you know, <laughs> it's just really a, its mental. It's all mental. I but mean, you had—you had—you've had arthritis since you were twelve. I've had about ten years old. I was—they put me in the University of California Medical Hospital. But I thought my skin was too tight because you know my wrists don't bend, my arms don't straighten, and, and you know if I do a twist, two twist-offs, my hands will bleed. My hands bled all the time I bowled. Um, but you know, you, after a couple of shots, you numb up and you just go ahead and do it. You know, the, the team physician for the LA Dodgers, Robert Kerlin, uh, back you know in the early '60s, told me that I better ball all I can, while I can, because I was going to be a cripple. I just said, "Screw you!" You know, I went got another doctor. You know, cause you don't want <laughs> to hear that. And my doctor, Doctor Lane, uh, Louisville, who you know or knew at the time, he's no longer with us, but uh, he was Colonel Sanders' doctor. And then well, I'd go in there to Colonel Sanders and be telling me you know, all these ladies and we used to go to this place called the Colonel's Lady and you've been to several times where with Colonel Sanders was always walking around and passing out vegetables to people. And uh, Oh, that was like snazzy <clears throat> sit down. Yeah, well, it was, it was just a Sunday. but It was, a, it was just a family dining. You know, all the chicken you eat plus all the vegetables. It was just how you know we got started. And then John Y. Brown, uh, who ended up being governor of Kentucky, ended up you know, franchising it and turning it into what it is today. So how how do you how did you focus so well? Because I have, I really have the ability. Like if I'm watching a movie, I can blank out everything. I mean I'm really bad. If I don't interrupt people, I will forget what I'm going to say. I it's really that. But I've always been that way. I'm the worst listener in the world. I can you can talk. I, all of a sudden I'm thinking about what's going to bowling lanes. Uh, would look at that good looking girl over there or my mind's always someplace else I always if I read a page I have to read it three or four times because I'm, I'm thinking about something else and if I get a thought in the middle of the night and start to forget about it I it's just I can't get rid of it Yeah, you know, I mean I just you know yeah but that seems like it would be opposite what you would need to focus because you're... not not really because if it's something I care about you know like if uh, uh, my buddy Alan Graf, or it was Bill Lawson or you for example because I only see you once or twice a year well, I'm focused on you because I care, but if it's matter of fact, you know, if you're like signing autographs or we're sitting around the bar with 20, 30 people, I ain't paying attention. I'm just, you know, wandering, make sure everybody's having a good time. So if, if I care, yeah. It's like my remote, I can do inside and out, but yeah, I can't turn on a computer, you know, I just because I don't care. It's just not. It's just really not important to me. And If it was important to me, I'd learn it, but uh, I have employees that do that stuff. I meet them every three weeks. We sit and talk about the direction we're going, and I say, I... I tried to retire. I got bored shitless, and uh, <laughs> I came back, and uh, and I'm so excited. I'm fortunate to, to come back and uh, and do this, and I'm I'm back there going you know six seven days a week just hanging out with the people. I love the idea, and and most people. I, I try to explain this to them, and you sort of touched on this a little bit
1: earlier, but in the '60s, bowlers were like rock stars. I mean, you have uh, I I you have some fucking great stories about. <laughs> like bowling with with weird celebrities and like oh, yeah. getting drunk with James Conn and just like all sorts of weird Oh, yeah. I remember, I
2: remember the, 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 you know, uh, the, 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 uh, um, Glenn Campbell, uh, Mac Davis, you know, I, I, I remember uh, coming to LA. We would go there and they would bowl, they would bus celebrities, how I met James Conn, they would bus these guys to. Uh, um, the tournament, bowl of pro am. You know, uh, James Hampton, a great uh, uh, supporting actor type person, really funny guy. He was in F Troop. Oh, Okay. And uh, James Conn, all these guys, I remember, got drunk one night, John and he beat me arm wrestling. You know, and it's really pissed me off. You know, because I thought, you know, James Conn beat you arm wrestling. Yeah, really. Yeah. And then he, he said, "We're going to go to some club, and we're, you know, shouldn't be driving, you know." I'm, but anyway, yeah. Uh, He lost me, uh, probably on purpose. (laughs) We we just, you know, and Glenn Campbell, one time uh, we were, Glenn Campbell and myself were bowling Mac uh, uh, Davis and Jimmy Bowen, who was Vice President of Capital. And we're bowling like $50 a game, and we're drinking. And we got, you know, we got to, as you know, you get people that'll hang around, and it was just a nice little party, and I hate to see a party in. I'm still, to this day, I just, you know, I'll get that extra round just so we can keep on going, and I'll you know come back to the next night. But uh, uh, I, I just bought a drink because we, well, I want to buy one more game. I said you know we're just having a good time, and so I hand Glenn a drink, and his then wife Billy, she said, Glenn, I said that was enough, and he had to put it down and leave. They were divorced six months later. But, oh, you know, I mean in front of these people, I said, are you fucking kidding me? I mean I just you know, but I I just when, there's sometimes when I know when to keep my mouth shut, but not usually. <laughs> <laughs> was that the night they gave you guys Jaguars? Do you say no? That was a different one. That was uh, uh, this is a different time. We we're bowling in a tournament, and oh, this is God. This is crazy. Uh, but uh, Ron Hamlin was his name. He was a left hand bowler. He's a, a boat captain on you know, fishing tours in Florida. Or he was. This is going back in the '60s, and we were uh, they supply us with cars. We got like they do golfers, and I got a brand new Jaguar, and this this guy Ron, he had a brand new T Bird and he's trying to bumper tag me on, on the LA freeway going from the valley over towards the airport and I was doing 110 you <laughs> <I> know <laughs> and, and he's right behind me and we're going to some party you know and then we pull off and go to the party and I mean, we just don't pull in the driveway of this house and these cars are flashing by the lights and they're chasing us you know I'm just fortunate you know it, 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 it's just it's just dumb luck because there's a lot of people make mistakes some people get caught some don't it was just uh, it's it just it wasn't that serious then as it is now you know they, they weren't about to The DUI and all the other stuff, and um, you know, my brother-in-law got uh, the DUI about four or five years ago. He, his mother-in-law was sick, and he was uh, up home by himself. So he went to the moose club, had a lot of beer, and and, you know, it's after eleven o'clock, and up in Hebrew Springs, Arkansas, eleven o'clock, but a year, you know, because they fold up at eight, yeah, and it's just one of them kind of deals and uh, so he gets pulled over and the cop asked him to walk a straight line so he told the cop, the cop could do this, if you can't do it, I expect me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't do any good, you know, still, you know, so. It's just, you know, it, it's just, uh, it was just the, the most fun because every week was a party. We used to, we, we'd go in there and play this little game called golly golly, we, we'd sit there, there'd be, there'd be 20, 30 of us every single night because you really didn't want to go home alone. And I'm talking about, even with a roommate, you don't you want to go sit and worry about your bowling the next day. I had a rule that, that worked really well for me and I tried to pass it along to people because uh, you get five minutes to bitch. Once you're done bitching, shut up, we ain't talking about it no more. Because if you put a positive and a negative together, negative wins because they don't have good days. You know, they will sit there and do browbeat and browbeat. Pretty soon, you know, you're you're like, you know, get the fuck away, man! I can't stand it, you know. <laughs> and I would only hang with you know positive, uh, you know, just just attitude. It's all attitude, it really is. Now you have good days and bad days. I mean, I got people ask me how'd I have the nerve to be a pro bowler. I shot a. I remember once I was in Philadelphia, and um, I shot a. I think it was 108 or 113, some ridiculous number. And Don Cutterson in the back, hey, get him, Pro. You know, just laughing their ass off. But you know, you had to laugh about it. You know, you just really had to do it. So some were good, and the other days he couldn't touch me. The other days, I just, I just asked myself, why would not I there? But to this day, I will say those three years as a janitor made me who I am, made my life happiest three years of my life because it was like a first date. It was, uh, it was a flower developing, whatever. It's like, wow, and getting away from that negative household. My brother is the most insecure person you ever met in your life. i got a brother and two sisters and they're all. And had I not left California, what I did to go on tour and then I ended up moving to uh, middle part of the country because uh, I drove cross-country 20 times in seven years because I was afraid to fly. And had I not... Um, Moved or got away from there, I'd have never won a tournament because I'd have never had the confidence that it takes. Oh, because of your dad. Yeah, because you know when you get browbeat, you, you know you tell me how bad they are often enough. You know he did at one point admit that um, that he wished I had to gone because you know he said well you know, he had to stay there and raise the family. Well, it's your family, okay. number one. <laughs> it wasn't your responsibility. And, and, and he just uh, you know he just it was, it was jealousy. Because I did something that I wanted to do, and he felt like he didn't. Because, like you say, got married young, had four kids while well, he's in his twenties. Right. You know, and it just it's uh, not your fault, not my fault. You know, it's just you know it was his. Uh, but most
1: people don't realize that. No, no. Most most people most people. I think a lot of kids in that situation would have felt like it was their fault. I think you're just. I think you're lucky you got away.
2: Oh, and there's no question, and, and, and nothing. I'm not trying to trash him. I have a lot of respect for the man because now I know who he is. And you know, the older you get, the more you're around, you to see things, and don't think things can't change or they can't get worse because they do it just they're they're you know there's well it's it's
1: amazing that that some people can be like in your case you're successful as a reaction to your father and how important it was for you to pursue something that you cared about and but for me you know you and my mom were always really supportive and so I always because I thought I think you kind of had the you know the notion of like you need to do. You need to pursue what you care about, and it doesn't matter. You know, because a lot of people say like, "Oh, is your dad disappointed that you weren't a professional bowler?" I'm like, he doesn't give a shit. He just uh, wants me to
2: do what I'm happy, happy doing. Yeah. But see, the the positive, the other side, the positive side about my father was I learned what not to do. Yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to be nasty because he, you know, I mean, my my sister, they just they said, you know, it's mom, it's mom. You got it, and they always talk about how he treated me. It didn't, It got to the point it didn't bother me, and I just felt bad because. I would like, you know, I, I like on Father's Day and you hear all these stories about Dad and I did this and Dad and I, well, Dad and I didn't do shit. You know, he'd take me to Bay Meadows to bet the Daily Double. <laughs> you know, that, was, that was that was our, or the Elks Club. And, and I have to understand his upbringing because he can never introduce me. This is my son, Bill, or Billy. It was like, this is my son, Billy Harvick, the pro bowler. You know, he wanted to make sure that the the, the, the identity that was important to him. But you know, he was a very insecure person. I mean, he he was, and he he put his insecurities by trying to be so dominant, taken out on, on us, and we were all just walking on eggshells most of the time. I mean, he wasn't a beater or a you know, it wasn't that kind. It was verbal. It was you know, and you can be somebody verbally as bad as you can physically.
1: It sounds like he wasn't. It sounds like he just didn't. He, you know, because of the way he grew up, didn't really
2: develop. Any of those skills, like it didn't really sound like, no. uh, but he was really good with the grandkids because I remember when he died, and all, all, all these grandkids got up there talking about how great he was. And I said, Who the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, he was always very sweet to me, yeah, yeah. You and Eddie, you know, he always what he was always like, Eddie comes down, he will go buy clothes and do this. He was like trying to make up for what he didn't do because you have to understand something raising four kids, the house. They 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 got to move into was thirteen thousand five hundred dollars and uh, now my niece lives in the house. It's worth eight hundred thousand. You know, it's a little same house. Three oh yeah, three bedroom, one bath. You know, tw- twin beds in each room, and it was all jammed in. What maybe eight nine hundred square feet. You know, but uh, but he did it. And payment was nine. He was really mad at me that when I started blowing it, I didn't pay off his house. He said, you could have paid off my house. What's well, what my fucking house. You know, you know, well, we had these conversations, but in his mind. You know, I mean, he he did. He busted his ass. He never missed work. I mean, he flat. now he'd get drunk on Friday night. This is Jerry Lee Lewis. We'd have a Lawrence Walk party every Saturday night. they would be dancing with all the neighbors, pinching money, ass. You know, just you know, he was the the belle of the ball. You know, but uh, you watch and you learn. You know, you picked the good points and you bet. And, and his work ethic. You yeah. know, and my mom too. They never missed work, and and I never missed work. You know, I was, seriously was. Uh, I was selling newspapers and. Uh, Oh, this is the story that got me the most. I was selling newspapers in San Francisco. I was ten or eleven years old, and it was like diamond paper, whatever it was. And I saved uh, twenty-eight dollars. Gonna give me a bike, you know. I mean, that, that, I saw a lot of damn papers to yeah. save twenty-eight dollars, and, and my dad took the twenty-eight dollars and bought curtains for the house. <laughs> I said, well, I said, you you going to pay your share at 10. you know, to pay oh, my no. share. Oh, it was terrible. And, you know, and I tried real hard not to save ever since. I said, I'm going to get because I don't want to be taken away from you. But that hadn't worked either. So, uh, I so People always ask me,
1: like, oh, does your dad love the movie Kingpin? And I said, you know, my dad lived it. Yeah, that's why. I, I, I feel like your answer was like, yeah, it was a cute movie. But, uh, you know, I I really did the
2: hustling. Like." I, what I could do and, and what I did do was uh, I could take two swallows of beer to get the smell of my breath and throw the ball and fall down hit pocket nine out of ten times. And I'd always have Lenny there. Like, like if, if I was bowling a money match, from people, they would come in and uh, uh, we'd always meet at midnight and um, just to make sure we, there weren't any issues that, that Lenny would take care of for me. You know, I'd... I'd get calls... Uh, Lenny, Lenny's a big guy. Lenny's a big guy, yeah. And Lenny he can beat the shit out of people. Of anybody, yeah. He liked, to, he liked to hit people, and he liked to be hit. He didn't give a shit. You know, he just... He, uh, one time he gives me a call, and uh, this is junior bowling. Now I'm 16 years old. This little girl named Connie Cook, she's the cutest girl, and they you know, sat with my... You know, girlfriends of those days, you know, if you kissed him, you were doing good. You, there wasn't, you know... Yeah. This other kind of stuff. But she happened to mention how this guy that she went to school with was the toughest guy around and I'm thinking okay I got two choices here oh really I said well I I don't think so I said I know a guy that's you know a lot tougher you know it's talking about Lenny so he calls me about two weeks later he says well you did it again I said what I do and he says get a few guys together he said uh, me and this guy are gonna we're gonna find out who the best is around here so I get that's it. I'm the old, I got a job in a car, so those are the two downfalls that I had in high school. I had a job in a car, and so I get six guys, and we get on this place called Foster's Freeze in. Uh, oh, it's in, still it's still there. Yeah, it's in Santa in uh, San Carlos, California, and we pull in there, and there's like 200 guys standing around there, but <laughs> well, there's six of us, and I'm I'm like 100 pounds. You know, I'm like the smallest guy and. Uh, Whatever, so but you know it's one of the things. Like one guy sitting in the front of my car, and he he took the chrome off, and he's beating the car like it's a horse. You know, let's, let's go. So we don't want to do it there, so we're gonna go up in the hills. So now I gotta go up in the hills, and we drive up in the hills and put all the cars in a big circle, and they get out there, and there's two hundred, there's six of us. You know, we're out there, and then Lenny beats the crap out of the guy, <laughs> and, which is okay. And now let's leave it alone, and, and you know, because you know this is the kind of thing when you're down, they get up. You know, it was a, it was a fair fight. You know, it really was. It was uh, that kind of stuff. They said no, leaving. Oh, so Lenny said, well, just tell everybody you're a chicken shit son of a bitch. Well, you know, then oh, all of a sudden no. they jumped on us, Uh-oh. and it's the minute they jumped on us, the cops came. And as the cops came, everybody jumped in the woods except me, because it's my car, I can't go anywhere, and, and I don't want to jump down the woods with those guys anyway. So they take all the info, and I go down. And on the way down, I pick up the guy. Who fought in three of his guys, you know. And they, yeah, he was pretty tough. Said, yeah, yeah, really pretty nice guy, you know. What, 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 am, I, what am I gonna say? You know, I was trying to survive to get to the bottom of the hill. Oh, it was. It was so, so he
1: was basically your bodyguard.
2: Well, yeah, when you, when you were hustling. Well, you know, he would. He would just made sure if you know. I mean, we would be. Uh, in hotels, you know, and we come at two o'clock in the morning after a bowling action, and maybe you know had a lot to drink, and all the trays that people put out after you walk, we just pick the food off the trays in the, in the lobbies of the, I mean, in the, in the hotel uh, rooms, and then, you know, it was just survival. All it was, was, all it was, was make enough to get by the next day. We actually would uh, sit at the bowling center, and uh, everybody have a drink, and then we would uh, have foot races, five dollars. Go to Belmont hill. You go down the bottom of the hill, which is about a quarter mile, and come back up the hill. Well, the five dollars is going to get you breakfast or something. You know, you pick your guts out, but you know, for five dollars you didn't give a shit because you're just really, it was it was like all going through all this stuff, and all of a sudden I get this call. They want to pay me a thousand dollars a month to bowl. I said I I took uh, I made it too much, but then the league wasn't doing well, and they had to cut me. But everybody that was on the team, I ended up beating for a title. At some point, it was just that mental thing. I just had this mental thing of. You're just not going to beat me. You know, you can tell them about I can't do this, but you're not going to beat me. You, I, I just really have, I'm, and you're the same way. But and that, I'm, that, I'm, is, that is something that you develop yourself. You can't teach that. You cannot teach self discipline, uh, motivation. You can't teach those things. You either have it or you want it. You know, that's why you have uh, leaders and followers. You know, and I'm not trying to put anybody down. And I'd like to, uh, and I want to make it real clear I'm not trashing my dad. My dad f- formed who I am today, and I'm grateful for all the things he did. And try to make it for the things he didn't do. And if that, you know, if, if that sounds offensive, I'm certainly not trying to be that way. Um, so uh, th- there must be good hustling stories. Hustling stories, yeah. Like so, well, you know, the... Because uh,
1: you're, you're, this was before the tour. So if you're hustling, you would have been like, what, 17, 18, 18 19? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah we, we, we would do stuff. I remember one time, and I got hustle, like a couple of times. We, we used to go uh a bull's place called Brentwood Bowl. And uh, there was probably 20, 30 guys. We bowl $5 a game, Uh, it was always $5 a game, winner take all. Uh, You can go to San Francisco on a Friday night, midnight, and bowl till Sunday afternoon, straight through, then be 40, 50 guys, you know, that's, you know, we do. But this one night, I was, uh, there was four of us, one of us is gonna win. That's just the way it was, so. Anyway, um, I lost a couple games, I'm broke, I only had 10 bucks, I didn't win one of the pots, so I went to one of the other three guys, and I said, uh, can you give me some money? And they said, oh, I can't, I'm splitting with uh, Eddie Nagel. I said, wait a minute, because I was split with Eddie Nagel. So, so I went to the other two guys, and he had four, he was split with everybody. So he couldn't win, because if he won, then, you know, and then I went to the, to the owner, asked him to sponsor me, he said, no, I'm sponsoring Eddie. So he's got the owner putting the money up, and he's splitting <laughs> with four guys. But, but the best hosting story, and this is, uh, I swear to God, it's a true story. We were San Mateo County Fair. And uh, pitching nickels on those plates, you know, and you got those barkers that are making fun of you. You can't do this, you can't. He's laughing at you. And I ended up losing uh, about five, ten dollars whatever, whatever it was I had at the time. And uh, so we start talking. And, well, can you do anything else except, you know, run your mouth? And we got uh, bowling. And I said, Be he, he said, Yeah. He said, He had a 150 average. And I said, Well, I got a 145 average. <laughs> it was 240, you know, at the time. But I said, You know, so he comes. To the bowling center at midnight, they're closing. He comes in with his, his own backs. He takes his ball out and his shoes out and he takes out a loaded 45 and lays it in the scorer table. I said, what's that for? He said, that's to make sure you got a 145 average. <laughs> oh, shit. I spent the night at the bowling center, I didn't leave. <laughs> that's the last time I lied. After that, I said, you know, I can beat you, put your money up or or go. I, mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lied after that. Did you bowl him? Fuck no, I didn't bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to survive bowling. I spent the night in the back end. I did, leave, I did not leave the building till dawn. I was scared to death. I was scared shitless. I got another call from uh, it was a, a guy uh, from L.A. calls uh, passing through, wanting to know if anybody wanted to bowl, play for any money. So uh, they called me. I was in bed and I went up there. and you know, I get all my friends and go, we raised five bucks. And so we go down there, we bowl two games for $5. I said, 279 279 And he said, man, you are the stupidest kid I've ever seen in my life. I said, what are you talking about? He pulled out $1,100, he said, you could have had it all. I said, man, I get your $5 to me. That was it, that was, it. That was all it was. It was just little, little, little stuff like that. There was always action, you know, it was, uh, we would get 20, 30 guys every night at midnight because the primetime leagues are always 9 o'clock if we start bowling at midnight till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning dollar a game or $2 a game loser pays lines you know and I was you know I got to where there was two guys that honestly hustled they won. They would take turns winning once I finally got to where I could beat them they moved to another bowling center one guy lived in the front seat of his car and his wife lived in the back seat you know but they sit there and they oh they'd so they were separated seat. yeah that was it <laughs> but that's a good, it was a hustle because mm. all the PBA tour do did was they took the greatest holsters on the world and put them on TV and called them stars. Because we everybody had a reputation. I'd heard about all these guys in different places but we very rarely, you know, uh, there, there was one tournament in San Francisco where I was, they called me Billy the Kid, the Blonde Bomber, and um, in San Francisco, downtown Bolton, San Francisco, eight game tournament. And if you could average 200, you're gonna make good. money. first place is $2,000. Well, I'm getting all the headlines and I got a packed house when I go in there. And the first game, I shot at 138. I mean, I was just so pressing so much because of reading the press and, and everybody's like, you know, and then they start, you know, booing you know, and just making remarks and everything else, so I said, screw it. So I settled down, I ended up winning the tournament, I said 1644. Ah. And, uh, it, it was 205. But for two, and, and this is where the teams from, from both all of the country come to, to play in the tournament to pay $2,000 in nineteen sixty one, that was you know it was just it was just pretty huge and because there was no tour, there was no money, there was like a, a three three tournaments a year. You had the world's invitational, um, the all star, and then the ABC tournament that, and the Masters. That's all you had, and so you had to go and uh, you know to, to these other places. You know, had a bunch of guys in the car and you go you know uh, weekend tournaments here and there. Come back. Well, when did? Because I saw you on a
1: show called Championship Bowling which was the Saturday TV show before I think a lot of people associate bowling like when they talk about bowling they go oh yeah the 70s and Wide World of Sports and Earl Anthony and you know but there was this whole I saw a bunch of stuff that the bowling museum sent me it was all black and white from the 60s everyone looked really cool and had slick back hair and cool shirts and
2: the audience all really had and ties yeah everyone looked great
1: and it was was really cool like it didn't you know when people, I think people think of bowling, they think of like, oh, it's gaudy and people are, you know, like they wear ridiculous clothes and like, no, but in the in the '60s it was it
2: was like Mad Men, it was really cool. Yeah, it it, it was that kind of thing. And in the respect we were such recognized people, it was uh, really pretty cool. But championship bowling was before the PBA. The PBA, uh, Eddie Eliza, founder, he got like twenty uh, something guys put up fifty dollars each to give it a chance to try a, an individual singles tour. At the time that I was drafted by the National Bowling League, where they were trying to keep team bowling going, but P- team bowling's boring, you know. They wanted the individual one-on-one. Plus, Eddie had the, the TV rights and uh, the championship bowling. He ended up buying out and, and giving it to give everybody the shows that they were on. But my championship bowling was because I was the bowler of the year, and I got to go uh, uh, play it in a couple of times, and it was really fascinating. You bowl. You know, a couple of three game matches, and you know you can win ten thousand dollars. And uh, there was a, you have to understand, like today the entry fees are like five hundred dollars, and you've got some guys, might be a couple of guys that make a couple hundred thousand. There's not that much, but in our in the '60s I was making between thirty and sixty thousand dollars, which was a ton because I say the rooms are you know. $10, 20 $30 a night, the entry fees are only $100, and there was no competition from uh, the other, all the cable stuff. There's only three networks. You'd, and we, we were actually had more popular, we were um, at higher ratings than uh, baseball, or basketball, not football. Uh, and we are more recognized because we didn't have hats or helmets, you know. And, and like I said, when I did my beer commercial, I was on three to five times a week for a year and a half. And I was recognized as... Uh, you know, uh, I remember one time we were in the, your, your mom and I were in New England for something, and everybody kept staring, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And I kept thinking maybe it was a beer commercial. It's because your mom was the only blonde in the whole in the whole restaurant. You know, it was in New England state, and back in the early, you know, I mean the early seventies, whatever it was, and it was just because of uh, of her blonde hair. So, uh, but it was it was cool. I always I never because uh, it's you know because I I kind of
1: I, as you know I've recently picked up bowling again a little bit, but I quit. When I was about thirteen, you know, because you know you and my mom slept when I was eleven, and then we moved away. And I think you sort of, I don't know, when you're thirteen, you start to kind of reject all the stuff you did yeah, when cool. you were younger. And I'm like, no, I'm a teenager now, and you know, now I'm into, you know, that that's when I kind of developed my love affair with like video games and computers and and you know and and all that that sort of stuff. And so I, you know, we moved away, and it just got harder to bowl because I didn't wasn't near a bowling center anymore, and. Um, but uh, the
2: cost too, you know, But like, the
1: cost, yeah, it was really expensive and obviously I could bowl at the at the your bowling center for free. Um, but uh, I never I it always it's always under my skin that I never got a perfect game and I don't think I ever will. Um I just I got so close when I was a kid and I just two
2: eighty nine one time. Two
1: eighty nine, yeah. Yeah, two eighty nine. And I just I feel like there's there's that one extra thing that you have where you can keep focusing right before you're about to get that last strike, that, you know, I, I just kinda, I fell apart.
2: Well, the whole the whole thing about it, I think you will now, if you continue practicing, because last night was the first time I've given you a lesson, because you were always just good, and, but now I'm trying to explain to you so you understand it, you know, and it's, and it's just focused, because the toughest thing about a 300 game is, the closer you get, the more aware, the more people stop and watch. Five, six strikes, yeah, seven yeah, strikes. are yeah, like, yeah.
1: oh, I don't want to fuck this up. I don't want to fuck this
0: yeah,
2: up. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I think you have the ability. You have as much natural ability as I've ever seen, but you don't have any knowledge of the game. You don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. So, that's what we were talking about last night, I'm hoping you get. Yeah, what's really funny
1: to me is the first. Um, uh, the, the, so, the, we've done 10 episodes of uh, All Star Bowling, which I named after your bowling center. Um, and. The very first game I hadn't bowled in a while. Like, I, I think I, I bowled. From, I bowled. I had a birthday bowling party last November uh, in 2011. But before that, I hadn't bowled in years. And so the first game of the show what we shot, you know, a few, a few months ago, and I bowled like uh, I shot like 129 or something. I just couldn't. I, I hadn't bowled. I couldn't get my. I was trying to focus on the production. But then my game started slowly coming back and I was bowling better and better and I think I shot five games over 200, five or six out of the ten. But I called you after the first or second show, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you watch this and tell me what I'm doing wrong? <laughs> you go, I don't have to tell you what you're doing. You, uh, you're you throwing the ball too hard. You're probably lobbing that. You're, you're throwing it like a shot put, yeah. and you don't need to do that. And I watched after I like, hung up the phone with it, and I watched. And I was like, fucking, that's exactly what I'm doing. You didn't even have to look at the thing, and you knew what I was doing well, wrong. Dude,
2: you understand, when you started bowling, you were three and a half. You weighed 36 pounds. The ball weighed nine, so you threw it as hard as you could. And as you grew, that just became your, your, that's your swing. That's the way it is. And and now you're big and, you know, you're a lot stronger. Big and strong. Well, you know, but you still have that same motion that was natural that you grew up with. That's why, like, kid, kids in every sport, when you learn it uh, early, it's just natural for you. When you pick it up, it's going to be the same. It might not be as effective, but uh, with the equipment and and with a little bit of knowledge, you, you could. The way conditions are today, you could. So. E- easier? There you why go. easier? Well, they're... they're there, it is an easier game. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of 300 games now. It's just, uh, look at Bo Burton just shot uh, uh, last week. Uh, he's 69 years old, and the last week he shot 257, 300, 300. Well, you don't do that at 69 unless, number one, he is a, a fit person and he's good enough to do it, but the carry's better, and he's always bold and steady. Bo was one of the best athletes you ever But in around. the 60s, what, were, what, were, what was the top average in the 60s? Well, to, to give you an example, right now there's, there's a. Thousands of uh, eight hundred series, which is the, the ultimate. If you shoot eight hundred, so so just for people don't know, yeah, the series is the total three, three games. games. Yeah, three games. And and when I bowled my second eight hundred, I was the third bowler in the state of California to have more than one. It was it worked. Where par was two hundred. Now we have people that are averaging two fifty for a whole season. And those as high games, not averages. It's just a game I can't relate. And what was your average in your bowl of the year? Well, I was. Uh, in 1962, uh, Don Carter set the average mark two twelve point two, and in '69, they beat it two twelve point nine, which is the highest in PBA history. And and now doing a bit a paycheck with two twelve. You know they they have it now where they they, they can have two forty for the old tournament. And I mean, I set a world record in Japan uh, uh, that still stands. It's been a record since 1968. And uh, where I was two seventy point five for eight games across the lanes for the back to back three hundred games. And Jesus! It was just one in, in, in front of the uh, Prince of Japan. The emperor's brother was there. That's the way it was. We had up, they were charging twenty dollars a ticket back in the day. And you bowled back to back. I did see. I, I did see
1: them. The the bowling museum doesn't have the both full games, but
2: they have like a chunk of them. And I watched. I got to see you do that. No, that, no. See the back to back. That was the day before. The next day after the back, I had, I, had, I finished the game with five in a row, then 300, 300, and I started, I had 36 in a row over, uh, you know. Oh, 36 in a row, but over four and, games. And, and then the next day, I was the first American to appear on uh, national TV in Japan, and I shot 300 first in their history. Jesus. So that was really cool. And it's really, and this is just my, I, I, I don't want to see uh, the cocky side, but as soon as we got there, the first thing they told us was whatever you do, you're not allowed to bring girls to the hotel room. I said, well, you shouldn't have told me I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Eight hours later, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got a lot to drink and partying and, and wake up and I say, oh, I can't believe that. The next night there's a knock on the door. I did not answer the door. I said, I had not gone there. I just, you know, but it was just, it was just, you're in your 20s. When you, 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 you're, you're young and dumb in your 20s. You can do anything, get away with anything. and think it's going to last forever. You just find out that it doesn't, you know. It's like when I turned thirty. Thirty was my toughest number because when you're twenty-nine, you're still in your twenties. Thirty, I thought I'd tied the world. I was like, you know, everything hurt my whole body. Seventy got my attention, but thirty really was still the the one that uh, that, that you know, everybody's got a 30, 40, 50, whatever. Everybody's got a number, but thirty was when that really paid the most attention.
1: Yeah, thirty didn't bother me too much for some reason.
2: Well, and you know, that's I
1: think I think maybe my generation just I don't know we were we have longer. We have these, like, permanent adolescence periods now.
2: Well, you know, it also, uh, in, in your generation, and it's different because of my generation. I just want to make sure that there was a love and affection and attention, in which, you know, and like, I've got like eight, I like guess, seven grandkids, and i coming in October, and, and just really, you know, just at just a happy place. Like, last year, for my 70th birthday party, and, and uh, I've never had my whole family together, and you were un- you were in San Diego on the way to Canada, and came ten thousand miles out of the way, which I'll never tell you what that meant to me. I mean, you'll never understand. I mean, you do, but uh, that's the first and only time in my life I had my whole family together, and that was uh, one of the best days of my life. I just can't tell you what that that meant to me. So it was really cool. So anyway, that was a fun time. Oh, it was. Yeah. Um, I uh, I
1: still want to know where your head goes when you're you know eleventh frame. And you're staring, you have you have eleven strikes and you're staring. Or or it's or if it's to win a tournament. Yeah. Like if you have to strike to win a tournament, how do you get your brain out of the way and just
2: But that's but that's why you do it. If it don't bother you, why do it? I mean just the idea of overcoming uh, insecurities, overcoming weaknesses. The same thing you told me fifteen years ago about comedy or ten years ago about comedy. I said, you know, and he says it helps me overcome insecurities. By facing the crowd, and you—you you probably don't remember that, but you told me that. You told me, you know this because I. A lot of times I get really anxious and high-strung, and this helps me overcome it. Me bowling uh, helped me gain recognition, notoriety, and sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't. You know, um, you know. I one time I needed a, a spare and an eight count to win a, a tournament, in a new car, and I was so busy thinking about the eight count, I threw the ball in the gutter halfway down. Oh and just, shit! You know. It just just one of the things, concentration. It's just, just to say you can. And I mean, look at, they're talking about uh, Kobe Bryant, a great basketball player, one of the best ever. But they're talking about uh, out of 20 times to win games, he's made the, the last shot three out of 20. Well, that's not good percentages, but he still wants the shot. You know, shooters want to shoot. I mean, I'd like the attention you get and the notoriety you get, and you get the, uh, uh, and I've also had the ability to, when it's over, it's over. I remember one time I, I was in charge of a munching where uh, I, I had 37 people in a contract giving away $100,000 worth of clothes a year and uh, it's something that I sold them on and they went for it. But I remember what this one guy beat me out of a tournament and offered my a contract. He says, why are you talking to me? I said, well, term's over. You know, you can't live your life worrying about yesterday. You seriously, you know, it's like uh, the, the biggest problem with golfers. I use an example because I I've coached a really really good golfer. There's that you got to worry about the next shot, not the last shot. So you're just so you're not you're not coaching him in
1: golf. You're coaching how him to win. Yeah, yeah. You're coaching his mind.
2: Oh yeah, because i we were going around there and he talked about he'd hit a, a, a high wire three holes back and he's still about But I said, what gives a shit? You know, that's over. You know, Hit your ankle, ball goes together, it's over. You know, you you have to worry about you know. Uh, my daughters asked me why I wake up small I said I'm glad to be awake. I I honestly, I personally can't survive in the past. I can look at the good points. I've had a lot of bad things that that I've just tried to blank out because you just have to because I'm the kind, uh, it would just tear me up inside, it would would stress me so bad and I'd really um, just can't do it. You know I have to, I will find something good but just about everybody, you know, there's a good point about what Whether I want to hang with or not, that's something else. Um, do you forgive him? Well, you have to. You know, you you, you just have to, or, or you know, you're going to go crazy. And until you get, you know, you don't really want to. You know, that's why I say now that I get to come back and go and hang around people most nights, or come back. I just uh, feel very fortunate. Everybody. I was I was
1: thought it was interesting that you decided, you know. I, I don't even remember the last time you picked up a ball, but it has to have been like 25 years ago. And then you said, and then you swore that you you just kind of decided, like, yeah, there's there's really no reason for me to do this anymore. Anyway. Well,
2: no, my reason for not bowling was because uh, for like in, in my bowling store, I got 20 lanes on each side, and there's a one-way mirror where I could watch the bowlers. And there was a 20-team scratch league. Scratch league are the best bowlers in town. Uh, want to be some that want to be good enough for the tour that probably aren't. But I'd stand and watch them for fifteen minutes. If they were bowling good, I'd go out and say hi, how are you? If they were bowling bad, I'd go out the other side and go home because I am not listen to bullshit. You know, I just really got to where I just you know. Oh, because they complain at you. They for complain the- to me, yeah. And when I bowl league. I'm in a stationary position. So everybody kept coming down and talking to me. My teammates always wanted to beat me. Everybody wanted to complain. I couldn't go nowhere. Now I can walk to the other side. I can go to the bar. I can go home. (laughs) You just need an escape route. I did. Yeah, I do. Because, you know, it's it's sometimes... You're corny. You have to do it. And I just, uh, you know, sometimes... I
1: have no patience for complainers. I have no patience for it. I don't know how. I mean, because people complain at me about the stuff all the time that I do. And I'm just like... What do you? I'm not a complaint desk. Like if you yes, don't yet. like it, don't come here and don't listen to yeah, it. But definitely. don't, you know? Like it's like they want to complain without
2: offering a solution. Yeah, they no. just they just go. They want hey, they, to listen. They yeah, they just, to listen. Yeah, they just listen. Yeah. I won't. don't know. One of the regrets I have at my bowling center happened very within three months after I had the place. I had like twenty or thirty of the better bowlers sitting around and are asking me questions. We're having to be in a bottom of beer. beer we they're talking. This one guy, Denny Denson, says, "I'll never forget it." And he said, I, you know, uh, I know you watch me bowl, have you, have you got any suggestions uh, for me? I said, yeah, take two weeks off and quit.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit!
2: <laughs> They la- he didn't come back for two years. Oh my god! I was, it was just a joke. I was just trying to, you know, you know, I, I you know, I was doing an exhibition one time in uh, Port Arthur, Texas, and there's I got about three or four hundred people in there, and the guy, one these cowboy, raises his hands and he says, "Hey, how many balls?" He goes, "Man, I got two just like you, you know." Just, just always looking for a little, little something, something. But I really felt bad about that. He ended up coming back, and I said it was just a joke, but you got to be careful. Though most people. Look at me. It's like you get Dr. Phil. A lot of times, they come to my office just to talk to me, and and vent or say whatever. And you know, um, you have to listen. Don't mean you have to offer any opinions. Like I say, you don't. Say hello, Mrs. So and So, because whoever's with somebody this month might be somebody different next month, and you you become a listener and you learn to walk away and and keep your opinions to yourself. They, they just don't want to hear it. I thought uh, you did said to me that one of the reasons <laughs> you said the, the the longer you don't bowl, the better you were. Oh yeah, seriously. You yeah. know, the, the the longer I'm away, the better I was. I could, if for me to get up a, to a bowling ball now with, with my arthritic old body, I mean, I mean, I mean, I could. You know, I could still average 200 just because of the equipment the way things are. But people have this vision, like for example, there might have been a tournament where I had the last five strikes in order to win it. Well, now that's up to nine strikes. You know, all of a sudden they had a strike every year. You know, and it just, it just uh, you yeah. but my focus, one time I, uh, I struck on the 10th frame and, and I won the game uh, 258-57. I didn't know I needed three strikes. I never looked at that. I don't I don't do anything that distracts me from what the object of the game is, which is a knockdown ten pins. If you don't do it the first ball, do it the second ball. I never looked at the person bowl, I never looked at the score, I didn't see if they got lucky or not. I just, you know, did what I was supposed to do. So you just simplified the game? I, I can I can honestly tell you I've won twenty tournaments and I could probably name three people that I beat it didn't make a difference. I never looked at who it was, unless it was a Dick Weber when I beat out tournament champions. Uh, you did beat him. Oh yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I I I had three majors. I beat Weber out of to him. He was your idol. And he was my idol. Yeah, he always told me. He says, you know, I said, you know, said, you know, they say you're the greatest bowler of all time, but your ass can't beat me, you know. I mean, I have to just do it. <laughs> but it was just that kind of rapport, you know. We were really close, but uh, but it didn't make any difference. It's just like if you really think about it, there's a lot of places where you do comedy, you don't know who the other comedian is, or, or, or act is. And with me, I, it didn't make any difference who I was born. It's just, you know, just, here's my shot, here's the line. When it's over, it's over. Let's go party. And I remember one time I won a tournament and uh, where I'm from and uh, outside of Belmont And the tournament paid uh, $5,000 and I spent 6000 on a party. You know, it was just, because we'll, we'll get, get it back next week. I mean, that was just the mindset. That's the mindset of people in their 20s. It was just, uh, I was mean, just fun. You know I mean, it really is. And you know, now, the stories I would get out, and every time somebody says something, it reminds you of a story. I thought they said it and dwell on it, but but I won't be around negative people. I, I just refuse to be around because they'll pull you down, you know. And if they got issues, you know that's their problems. But they just want people to listen, and, and you can't do it. You can't survive living in the past or being with negative people because it, it's just such a downer, you know. I'm you know, just uh, you know. How is uh, how is the uh, how's the getting older thing? Well, you know, honestly. A nap more. I I, I still have. um How do I want to say this? Like, I have more downtime. You know, I don't have as much energy. I'm more aware. Uh, bottom line is now I don't. These commercials all the side effects. I quit watching that shit because you get you got all of it. You know, it scares you to death. I don't. it, it But but I'm active. I either walk two miles a day, or when I'm in Florida, I swim two miles a week. So I've always been an active person. It keeps me going and. Uh, uh, because of my arthritis, I'm supposed to at some point have degenerative back problems. But uh, whenever I have issues, I just try to work through it. If I get uh, right now, I've slowed my. I used to go four miles an hour. Now I'm down to two and a half miles an hour on my uh, when I do the treadmill. I just a couple miles. I just don't do as much, but I do something. I'm just more aware of, of little things that I didn't used to be aware of. You know. Does you, it bother you though? This... No. Uh, oh, it, it's just it good. just goes by. The years turn into months. It just goes by so fast. I mean, you start thinking about it. You were at my birthday party last year. Turned seventy. Guess what? In two more months, I'm gonna be seventy-one. Yeah. It's just been it's been ten months. It's going that <laughs> I fast. Know, I know. I know. You know. It just has. Does it bother me? I don't. I wouldn't say bother me because I'm a, I'm always a glass half full person. I'm just more aware of it. You know, both my grandfathers made it to ninety-nine. My mom's eighty-nine. My dad made it to eighty-eight. And and my dad and my grandfather are both drunks. I socialize. I drink. You know. I'm. You know. I'm. But I'm. I, I control. I think you know. I mean, I'm sure there's times I don't, but uh, you know, I'm I'm just uh, not going to apologize for where I, am. I spent uh, my whole life apologizing for for something. And and bowling was so image conscious in the '60s. You couldn't even have a girlfriend set in a TV show. You couldn't. Uh, you be so aware of everything. You didn't travel. There was girls. You didn't, just didn't do those kind of things. And, you know, it's just it was it was Ozzy and Harriet. It was uh, you know Ricky and Lucy. It was uh, it was all. Follow those best and make oh, believe. Oh, sleeping in separate beds and yeah, that's I mean, that's all you were saw on television. You know, you didn't see uh, any of those kind of things. It was uh, it was you know, and now the kids that can turn on this, uh, stuff on TV, they're seeing that. You know, I mean, I can't even relate to it. I mean, I'm the kind of person I know. I had my first cigarette at sixteen. Of course, I've not, not smoked in thirty five years. I had my first cigarette at sixteen. Uh, sex at 18 for the first time, and my first drink at 21. And I made up for all of
1: them. But <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, you were you were 18 when you had sex with a girlfriend. First, person?
2: yeah. And I remember because it, it was uh, in the back seat of my car in front of my parents' house, <laughs> and, Sexy. and I had a condom and I had to drive four miles of that thing on before I get to a gas station to take it off. Wait, what? You drove four miles with the condom on? Yeah. Why? Well, why not? I didn't know what to do. I don't want to, do. to leak it all over my pants. Oh, you. <laughs> You know, she, she's trying to put her panties on and I'm gonna to get to the I'm trying to get to the gas station, get off and clean up so I can take her home. <laughs> it's really romantic. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, the first time is just it's quick and one. It's just you know, it's like, you know, bim bam, thank you, ma'am. It was you know, but you know, it, I didn't know. Yeah. Seriously, I just really I just I've always done things the way it's supposed to be done. You know, if you ask me a question if I don't answer you, because I'm going to tell you... you know. I
1: remember her, because when I was 15, I think... <laughs> you did. 15 you or 16, did. you tracked her down. I did. And then I came with you, and you yeah. went
2: and... I think I, you apologized I, I, to I, her. I went to apologize to her, because um, I never told her why I broke it. I went away on a bowling trip and met somebody else that, uh, I, that I got involved with. And I never told her, and I wanted to apologize, and but because she cried and... Uh, it was a really tough time, and I just felt like crap, because I just don't like hurting anybody's feelings, like, and I felt really bad. And we went there and I found her, and she sat there with her husband, and, and I'm like, yeah, and she went real thrilled, and he owned she drove a forklift, uh, you know, their company, and it was like, okay, but that was, you know, that, that's just me, I just really, I will never give a person a reason not to like me because I know you do if you, if you don't but I will never hurt anybody's feelings on purpose without you know if I do or I think I did I will always be the first to say I'm sorry yeah and who was the girl that you her name was Judy Allen she, you know she was uh, i never forget she got a beauty contest with uh, this one time and there was a girl that did a lot of stuff in Hollywood uh but as soon as they walked out together, I knew who the winner was, and it wasn't Judy. I mean, it was, but but at least she's, she's a very attractive. She looked like Lauren Bacall mm-hmm. as a young person, really pretty with, with boobs. I mean, she was just a beautiful girl. And uh, I was a mechanic at the bowling lens and she was bowling, so I would put you know notes in the thumb hole. Uh, oh, know, that's set sweet. Back to, to you know to to meet her. But who was the girl that you that you left her for? The, that was uh, that was uh, her name was Pat. Name, Cause I ended up marrying her. And, oh you know, shit! Yeah, and then she ended up with Don Carter. And you can fill in the gaps. <laughs> oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, in oh. fact, she left me, and he left his wife, and they got married. You know, and then uh, I ended up staying with them six months later to her house. You know, and this this oh, about you stayed
1: oh. at their house? Yeah, that's the weirdest.
2: Oh, anyways, I for the first time like I've never owned a house. Okay, still have it. And I just for the first time in life I bought a brand new car, a Ford Galaxy with reverberated sound and it was so cool as car I ever got well naturally she got the car on the divorce Ugh. and Don was driving on the King Continental and so she called me wonder if I wanted to buy the Ford back I said fuck you I said I paid for that bitch once I paid for it <laughs> <laughs> I paid for it again uh, do you believe because Don was Don Carter was the one that told you
1: that you couldn't have a relationship and, yeah. and a career and let me tell you when he told me this
2: this is really the best part of it because they were involved, I'm 21, 22 years, I don't know for shit, you know, I'm just one of these, I'm looking at my mom and dad while everybody stays forever, whatever, and they were together, and uh, Don took me to her house to get the divorce papers, and I didn't find out till you know, alone, and he drove me from LA to San Francisco, eight hour drive, and I'm crying and distraught and everything else, and he said, man, you know, that's, (laughs) and he said, you know, you can't have both. He said, some people get love, and some people have career, but both, very few people get both because you have to sacrifice to it. And He was right, you know. You, you know, I just didn't know, you know. And then you didn't know but, but, but that the, he was. But the whole you thing didn't was, know that he was sleeping with your wife. At but the, time. the whole thing is, she did the same thing to him. She met a producer that was bigger than Don Carter, so you know, it was just it just it is what it is, you know. It just is what it is, you know. I'm not judging. I will bet she's not hot shit now. She actually called me. Uh, Five years ago, really, yeah, and uh, she was very emotional, like apologizing for how she was younger. And oh, she did the same thing you did, basically, yeah, she did. And she had a bunch of memorabilia. I wanted to know if I wanted it, you know. i you know, I just basically, same thing, yeah, it was the same thing. I said, Hey, you know, it's all it, it don't make no difference, you, yeah, the older you get. It's just when you're young, you know, young and naive, and you, you think like when I first went on tour, and I'd see all this stuff going on with all these people that are, and I, I just didn't understand it. It just is what it is. Everybody has their own reasons, but uh, you can't judge them. I don't judge anybody for anything. I really don't. And and Don and I remained really good friends after I got over the the initial shock of what was going on. But uh, you know, she was doing it to him too. She's just, you know, everybody's got a hobby, you know. <laughs> Robby <laughs> was cheating on people. Yeah I, yeah, I guess you know whatever you know it's uh, or it's, it's whatever you know it just was because uh, it wasn't you know I there was other people on tour that she was seeing at the same time apparently and I'm not trying to trash no her, no no of course this is just, it's just a thing that happened it's just what happened but know? but you uh, so you retired at 36 yeah something like that 36 yeah I retired because uh, number one. Um, I've lost two kids uh, in a four-year period, my oldest and my youngest, and also the desire to bowl, the desire to do anything. I really, self-pity, became my best friend. I can tell you the day I turned 30, the day I turned 40, I can't tell you anything in between. I, I, I blanked it out, I, I drank 20 hours a day and, and, and just didn't give a shit, and I was a laughing stock uh, on the tour, and. Um, you know, and and after doing this for five, six years and I read an article where this one bowler said, you know, all I know is I don't want to end up like Billy Hartman. And it really, you know, uh, got my attention. And then when your grandmother, your mom's mom died, I said, whoa, you know, wh- what is this shit? And I just uh, regrouped and… Uh, that was like, 74 or 5 maybe, when so, yeah, she died? It's some, some somewhere in that general area. And uh, it was 74, 75 and I regrouped and I went out one winner, I had still had some contracts, some, some good contracts, and I went out and I uh, made like four TV shows, One Toledo, led the Firestone, and lost one game match and said see, ya. it just wasn't there because uh, uh, I honestly believed in my heart the better I did, something bad was gonna happen. I just I just couldn't take any uh, more at the time. And uh, I uh, actually, after losing two kids, I, I, I hid, I um, really ashamed of myself in fact last year is probably one of the best years of my life because I went to one's buried in Louisville, one's buried in Lexington, Tennessee and I went to both cemeteries and sat there and just cried and apologized that I wasn't there and, and thank God for letting me live long enough to make peace with uh, tragedies. And So you feel better now? Oh absolutely, yeah I do I, and I really believe it. I I pray every night and I watched it to that they're watching over me, and I just, I just, you know, the the toughest thing that parents that have lost a kid, my interpretation, and and, and you can't help it, I, I couldn't help it anyway, is the the blame and 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 the guilt. You you blame each other, you feel guilty, and you when you look at each other, there's just a wall that is so tough to overcome. It's very difficult for. Uh, um, to to get past that, you you see, almost. You know, I'm sure there are people better than me that can do it. I just couldn't get past it, and I went through uh, I'd say ten years of my life that I don't remember. And maybe that's why I'm so positive now. I honestly don't remember my thirties. I can't tell you anything about it except I know I was drunk, passed out somewhere, and really uh, I was you know I was an embarrassment to myself. And uh, but you know nobody ever judged me. They just you know they were supportive and and. You know, here I am just uh, thankful every day, you know. Uh, And there's days you feel like, you know, you're not going to make it. But uh, uh, my prayer now is thank God for letting me live long enough to make peace with that and and other things in my life. Uh, Last year was, you know, one of the best years of my life with a lot of bad things that happened personally because of that. You know, uh, if you look at your personal life, divorce and and all the stuff, it's, losing a kid is, is just the way to describe it how, what it does to you and, and if I have something that bothers me that really gets my hair standing, is when someone that had not been hello oh, I can't talk it is when someone that hasn't been through it says oh, I understand you don't and that, that that's about one of the few things that'll just really get me going is when someone will say that to me. I say, you know, you, you know, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. And and then to meet somebody that has and, and the bond you instantly have with that person because of, of, of what the feeling is. It's uh, well, I, I I never forget the, when uh, when your brother died was in Louisville and I was driving down the street, uh, looking up in the sky, crying and cussing, you're not gonna get me, you're not gonna get me. And it wasn't until a few years later when I went and put myself in a hospital. I was a psychiatrist for a couple of weeks. that um, I was able to you know, accept and move forward and there was a famous baseball player for Chicago, White Sox. Uh, I can't remember his name right now and he's really famous. I, I feel bad that's my old age sitting in but uh, and your mom had arranged this and he came by uh, to talk to me and because he was a professional athlete because he had seen a lot and been you know you know Ronnie he said you can't do it alone. He said, man you gotta you to go to God and I did. you know I did, you know that footprint's in the sand, you know. People don't. You know, I mean, I don't come across as a religious person, but I pray twice a day every day my whole life. I Always have. I'm a very strong believer and very, uh, very emotional. I cried when Lassie got lost. I cry at everything. I do. I cry happy. I cry <laughs> sad. I'm beller. I don't care. You know. I mean, I just a very extremely emotional person, and, and I like that about myself. I just, uh, you, you, you know, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. You'll always know where I'm coming from. I mean, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't fake anything. I just have to, you know, if you ask me a question, that's what I going to tell you. I don't want if I don't tell you when you ask me a question, I'm going to forget. And, I, you know, I can't remember, you know, at least I can remember the truth. If I made up something, uh, you know, I don't see how people can do it. I know people, if their lips are moving, they're lying. You know, I just can't, and I just uh, can't be that way. But I've really, I've, I've had the kind of life, it's peaks and valleys. I'm either on top of the mountain or I'm, I'm, I'm scraping up for air and, you know, you know, you ride out the peaks. I mean, you enjoy the peaks, you ride out the valleys and, and, and hope for something on the train. But, but overall, and, and Lenny said this to me one time, You don't remember it, when this is after, when your brother died, he says, you know, uh, if God didn't think you'd handle it, he wouldn't have put it on you. And it actually made sense coming from the, the biggest tough guy I've ever known and everything else. And uh, But but sometimes you can, sometimes you can I said, I went through 10 years where I couldn't handle it. I absolutely gave away... I was number one bowler in the world and I gave it away because I didn't want it no more. It didn't mean anything. I went from being the best and you couldn't beat me to I just didn't give a shit. I went to uh, uh, self-pity. Oh, God, I just went away. I had a pity party every night. Oh, it was pathetic. You know, I mean, I've, I'm I'm, I'm surprised people put up with me. You know, I guess it's when you buy their drinks, I guess they'll listen to anything. Right? <laughs> it's funny. I didn't... I didn't. I guess I...
1: I mean, I guess I under I guess I had a sense that you were a... a you know, that you were religious in, in, in a sense that, uh, I mean, I, I'm not at all, I mean, I went to Catholic school, I don't know, maybe that, you know, I'm just more, I'm just more sciencey. I guess. I mean, not that it has to be one or the other, but I for me it is.
2: Well, that's fine, yeah, I, mean, I, just, I just have something, I always, like to me, the glass is always half full. Yeah. And this makes me feel good uh, about me, you know, because I went through too many years where I didn't, you know, I mean, I was raised thinking I was a piece of shit, I left home and, and came back to it and went through all that stuff and then get accepted by a group of people that all go through the same uh, thing and I'm I'm really just uh, you know I, I'm, I am who I am I don't know you know I mean I, I don't apologize for anything I'm you know I mean I'm like uh, count your blessings you know like, like Mac Davis stop and smell the roses man look around you know if you look around there's something good
1: oh it's funny my mom just saw him somewhere and talk to him and he I'm supposed to pass on hello like yeah. he told, asked about you yeah no, we
2: came to the house, he came to the house we parted. I remember this was really cool because your mom was a really good singer and Mac Davis and he had all his band and they kept <clears> going around the room uh, singing songs your mom was singing I just kept passing out the beers and you know we just had a really good time <laughs> yeah and Glenn came like Glenn, yeah, Glenn, yeah, Glenn, I saw Glenn uh, Vegas I, I, I've been very fortunate I would get introduced to shows in Vegas go backstage Foster Brooks funniest guy in the world never had a drink in his life you know but people would know cuz he played a drunk. Yeah. You know, a really great comedian and uh, and you know but when when you get to see which you, now you're seeing with all your travels that everybody you know you got your dreams you chase them or We have you know, weirdly similar lifestyles we do. even though
1: I didn't pursue the same thing a lot of times I'm like, "Oh my god, this is what, what this is what I mean, I fly everywhere." Yeah. Um but uh, you know we're but you know, it's the same kind of thing, and and I guess I didn't realize it. I mean, I, I first of all, I owe my devotion to comedy to you and my mom because you you recognized pretty early on that I was very responsive to comedy and Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin, and then you guys totally threw all that stuff at me because you knew I was into it.
2: Yeah, hey, just give me the opportunity. That's all.
1: But but I feel like when I'm but I but I a lot of times when I'm on my on the road like. It's hard for me to imagine. Like, I have picked, even though it's a different thing, the same lifestyle where I'm on the road most of the time. Yeah. You know, like just going to do my job in a different city. And the same way that you are, like when I go through towns and I see a bowling center, like if I'm driving through Arizona, I'll go, oh, I'll bet my dad bowl at this place and I'll call you and I go, hey, do you remember Cactus Bowl? And you're like, oh yeah, in 67 we did this or this. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing for me, it's the same thing for me with like comedy
2: clubs now. Like, oh yeah, I've been to, you know. I was on the road 40 weeks a year in hotels for over 20 years. You know, and now the, the traveling thing, and in fact I drove for the first seven years because I was afraid to fly. And it's like, and you always want your kids to do better. Now you're flying Europe, all these different places, and all the stuff that you're doing—it's just on a bigger scale. You know, it's just like you know, as a bowler. You know, baseball, football, basketball players made more, more money, but we did the same thing without the same compensation. So, what you're doing—it really is. And this is the first time you and I've ever really talked. Like, last time was the first... But this first time, You've never heard these things from me. I've never... I'm telling you things I've never told anyone. Else. I've heard a lot of stories, though. Yeah, a little bit, but here and there, but never in, in this context. Uh, in the
1: you know, but. it's so hard. The shitty thing is you just get so caught up with work, and so, you know... I mean, we've talked a couple, you know... But, We've talked once a week. We do, yeah, for years. Yeah, we do. And I know, you know, and I feel, and I'm sorry, and I feel bad, you know. My mom has the same complaint too. That I'm just, I'm in, I'm so much in, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm working, you know, I love you, but I, you know, I can't really talk right now. understand. And uh, you know, so it's it's not that I don't want to talk more. Well, let me tell you
2: the problem I have with you.
1: Yes. So, okay. I'm, and okay. The truth. This is The truth. Okay. Is the truth.
2: Okay. Now, your brother and you know, we talk, we have conversations. I'm a talker. You're a listener. If I don't ask you the right question, you don't say shit. Well, because it's not, you know, you and my mom no. have the same complaint that I don't, you're like, why don't you ever tell me you're doing anything? Because like, I well, just okay. don't like talking no, about it. And I know the answer to that because it was the same way. It's like me talking about customers at the bowling center. What you do for a living, you take matter of factly. It'd be just like if you, uh, like I my, had my, dad my dad's job, but you're painting or, 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 or doing yeah. something else. Come on, talking about it. Nobody wants yeah. to hear it. Well, as as living in Memphis, Tennessee, in in this smaller world, and I get this. You know, you're, you're sitting there doing Craig Ferguson, and you're doing Jimmy Fallon, and you doing you know, all these things. Well, that's fascinating. And when I watched those shows, that's how I heard about you because your ass don't tell me nothing. I know, sorry. you know. So I'm glad it's with your mom too. You know, at least I know it's not just me. I've it's the not. Time.
1: It's not just you.
2: But but I to, but see, you have to understand something. And I told you this when you came here to visit. I don't care if I see you 24 minutes, 24 hours, or 24 days. It doesn't make any difference. I don't. I just need quality time, not quantity time. I really and I totally understand because I did the same thing. I mean I used to go to California a couple weeks a year and see my parents and then I would cut it to a week and then and, and as it progressed and things didn't really change I got to where I, you know um, 24 or 48 hours I'd always have some place I had to be. But you know you you're always attentive you've got a great mind but you're a tremendous listener. You're If we're opposite I'm the worst listener in the world. <laughs> I, I mean I, I, I'm serious I will sit there and just forget Everything, but uh, and you're a really good listener. But if I, I mean, I just, like need to make a list of questions, or watch you on TV because I get your name in my TV where everything you're You know, I've seen that episode of uh, where where they they go to Fort Lauderdale for the, the oh, married with children. Oh, they shoot that same one all the time. <laughs> I know. I, I get like a ten cent check in the mail every every oh, like okay. twice a year. Yeah, that's from those in 1996. Yeah, but I but no, you no, you're not you're not a, you're not a conversationalist. You're a listener, and you, but you've got so many things going. Usually there's always a, a, a computer in front of you, a phone stuck to your ear, there's always something going, but I totally understand it. Mine was just on a smaller scale. When I walk into the bowling center, there's a line. It's either people that, that have questions, They want like I met with my employees today for an hour and a half, and, and we just go through what's being on, and me being away from that, because I did try to retire, and I, I wasted 10 years of my life of, of, of not understanding it and not living it, and then I tried to, make up for it by retire, retiring which I, I I'll never retire I don't want to retire I'm going to do this sit, uh. oh I don't blame you that's not reti- I'm not doing anything it just sounds horrible oh I was yeah because I'm used to go since I'm 16 I'm just going out at 5 o'clock at night now when I moved to Florida I'm home at 5 o'clock what the hell am I doing you know I'm sitting there uh, it is pretty remarkable though when, when you
1: consider that when you you retired at 36 and still they named you as the 13th 12th 12th, 12th.
2: Sorry, I No, no they, there was two balls. The thirteenth was the last hundred years. Yeah, uh, and the twelfth was PBA. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah.
1: So you're twelfth of of all bowlers yeah, ever. Over hundred years, yeah.
2: That's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. Well, you know,
1: because you only you only bowled for seventeen years. Yeah.
2: Well, and the thing, one of the things about it too is there's a lot of guys like I used to uh, when I used to all these parties because I was the you know Sultan of Suds and king of partyers. I always bring the press with me, you know, and let them, you know, and the press in those days they'd party with us. They didn't write about it. They wanted to be oh yeah part of the thing, you know. And I can promise you, there, there's a lot of buried votes. I could have made tenth anyway if I mean, <laughs> would, would have lived long enough to vote. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, anyway, but well, it was fun. I um, I'm gonna we'll wrap it up now. But I, I'll definitely um, I'll definitely come back sooner than than later because so, yeah. it's fun. I really I do love catching up with you, and, and and you know I owe pretty much everything. I see so much of you know, you and and my mom in things that I that I do now sometimes that it's you know, I really I appreciate all the encouragement and I appreciate I just I never, you know, I don't know, I guess because because you guys always said you have to follow what you wanna do, like I I just I just never occurred to me that I couldn't do stuff and so that's why I just, you know, I don't know, I'm I'm the same way you are. Like I'll I'll fail at something and then I'm upset about it and then a day later I'm like alright well I yeah. gotta figure this out now
2: yeah. you, you can't live in the past you gotta go forward you know but I, but it's I obviously amazing you were talking about your mom that we are so opposite and we, we bucked heads a lot obviously we're not together but we did buck heads a lot but uh, the, 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 your brother was the main the, 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 the switch the the, the, the that affects whatever, but no, I have all the respect in the world for her. that she's a great mom. She did a of the job with you, but you are like both of us, you know. I mean, she was really bright, which you are. And, oh, you mean and, the and, okay? Uh, you mean the, ba- the the brother that died, yes. the infant brother that died.
1: Yeah, I don't think I really ever knew that. Did, I mean, well, I knew he. I knew I have a. I knew I had a brother, but I don't think I knew that that was the thing that drove a wedge into the. Well, line. yeah,
2: because yeah, because I you know wow Eddie's I'd lost Billy Jr. I was in Japan. And I get a call at three o'clock in the morning, my seven-month-old son had died of crib death. And by the time I got home, they had to keep the coffin open. He was always changing colors. Oh my God. It it took me 24 hours to get home, and that's what I had to walk into. And and, you know, that led to divorce, and then, then your mom and I got together, and, and it was like, you know, wow. And then...
1: So Billy Jr., obviously I knew this, but there's just people listening. Billy Jr. was a previous marriage. Yes. And then I have a half-brother named Eddie, yes. who's an a, amazing guy, Yeah. Um, who's a couple years older than I am. And then you, and then so you married my mom, and then I was born, and then you had another son.
2: Yeah, another son. And and the, here's the thing about it, too, is uh, the doctor didn't want your mom to have any more kids, because she's only four, ten and a half, you know. I mean, so that was it. So... And our seventh month, seven and a half months pregnant. The, uh, didn't want to have any more, so I went in the hospital and had a vasectomy um, because that was going to be it. And five days later, the baby came out of arm first. Baby only lived two days and almost killed your mom, and I can't have any more kids. So I went through a four-year period of losing my oldest, going through divorce, getting remarried, and then doing this, and I just... I just fell apart I just I, I really you know I, I I wouldn't have stayed with me you know I mean regardless I wasn't strong enough and, and your mom, that was that was the straw it really was because your mom her family the Bulletin everything was really um, you know just a great family you know your uncle uh, your grandparents you know there, there was it was just you know just I just wasn't strong to do it and until I went for help and put myself in a hospital, you know, and for a couple weeks, and that, wow, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not crazy. Shit happens to people, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it that that was destroyed. The there were other issues, obviously, it's not, but, but there were other issues, but not worth talking about, not worth reliving. Because I wish her nothing but the best, and uh, she's done a great job with you, and you and Eddie. I mean, in my phone, I get one picture, of you you and Eddie that's the only pictures that I carry like and I uh, love you both so much and you're, it's amazing how you're both so much like me Eddie and I I didn't see him for 15 years and it's like I spent my whole life with him you know and you and I when we talk I mean I always say are you, are you there because you <laughs> i uh, listening. listening oh yes yeah. but it's really uh, you know <laughs> so I mean I mean it, it, when you look at over <laughs> the wall you <laughs> like do
1: this thing where you what? you do this thing where you go uh you know, I'd, I'd love to come visit, uh, but I don't want to be a bother. And then, uh, and then I'll just kind of go, "Hmm, yeah." And you will go, "No, that's the part where you're supposed to say yeah, yeah.'
2: You wouldn't be a bother. Of course, I want you to come." Yeah, visit. you go, yeah. "Come on, I'm a fisherman. I'm fishing for compliments over and, here." Yeah, well, what I said at the bowling center when I walked up, you, you know, and I says, "You guys are really going to miss me," you know. And I walked around. Yeah. And I says, Excuse me, hello, you know. Response. Yeah. You know, say something. You know, but you, you don't. You're really bad about that. I'm, you know, I'm a fisherman, you know, because I don't read lips or minds, okay? So when I say something, it's like, you know, oh, gee, Dad, even though you know like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, I really, the traveling part is, uh, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not near what you have, but also at your age, I mean, I was on the road, i say 40 weeks a year, in hotels and traveling, a lot of one-night stands and exhibitions. I mean, I would do, for $500 a day, it, it would take me uh, two days to get there and it would just to uh, speak for a couple hours in a banquet in some of the smallest towns in the country, because Big city has other sports, but you go to some of these uh, real little towns. I mean, I, there was a place in um, in the Rising Sun, Indiana, and to drive up from Louisville, get my car on a boat to take it across into from Kentucky to Indiana at a hardware store that had four lanes in it. Holy shit! You know, and that was just uh, you know, but that's but that's what it was. You know, that's how you made your living. Like I say, I say, bowlers know who bowlers are, and, and but we could go anywhere because you know. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, a lot of people trying to really be polite. You know, they'll they'll say, "Well, this is Billy Hardwick, the, you know, Pro Bowler," and you know, so like that don't mean that that's okay. I keep trying to say, "Okay, I understand something." If they're not in their sixties, they got no clue because I haven't done it for thirty-five years. Right. Uh, the TV now it's not that big a thing, and and it's it's just not like what it used to be. But I mean, they mean well, but. It, it, it's what you know. It is what it is. And I really, I I feel blessed and fortunate. And I say you, uh, you and Eddie are my life, and that's just it. And I got two great daughters, two stepdaughters that I've never called stepdaughters. I love, and I got a, I got four kids, and, and we had twenty eight people from the family all came from my uh, party last year. Well. Chloe and
1: I've had a great time just in the couple oh, she's days. a sweetheart. Uh, she is,
2: you know, she she's a natural beauty. I love somebody that she's personable. She don't need makeup. She's just beautiful. She just wakes up and she's beautiful, and uh, you know, and she's very very nice. Great legs. <laughs> all right, take it easy. Well, I'm done. I mean, that's a compliment. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. you know, would you have me tell somebody else to tell it to you? <laughs> no, you know? no, I love it. Thank it's great.
1: You. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's funny because you told her that at the at the lunch table today. You're like, I I wanted to tell you. I didn't want us to be alone when I told you that I thought you were pretty because I didn't think that I thought that would be creepy. An
2: appropriate. I mean, yeah, yes. yeah, usually. Uh, because, uh, but,
1: uh, but anyway, um, I love you so much, and uh, it's been so great hanging out. And, and I, I'm, I you know, now that you're back in Memphis, uh, out of the,
2: basically uh, elderly Siberia of Florida, yeah. like,
1: like it's fun. It'll, you, you know, it'll you be fun that, to come you back. You made it
2: real clear. You said, you know, I, Dad, I probably won't get down to Florida, but Memphis yet, because that's just... Uh, it's three it, hours. Yeah. It, and
1: it's yeah. it's hard to... <clears throat> getting to Tampa is a fucking pain in the ass, because yeah. it's then all, from there, for an hour to the you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> thanks for making it more
2: convenient for me to come well, with Well, but, but it works for me too do you understand know so I've got uh, seven grandkids here and one more on the way it's uh, you know six hours away tell them I doing it in Florida you know I got all this stuff and uh, uh because both the daughters have, you know, the, the six. Eddie has one and getting ready to have another one. And yeah. I don't need to be down there. And I really, it's a nice place. It's a good place to visit. And, uh, but they say I'm going to be here at least eight, nine months here, And more if I can. Because I just love it. I'm going to come give you a hug. Hi, right, buddy. Love, I love you. you. Love you, man. That's mm. oh. wonderful. It's so good catching up. I have man. a beer now? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Now leaving
1: Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by the amazingly hilarious Comedy Bang Bang every Friday at 10, 9 central on IFC.